Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, what the thickest. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John. I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It's great. We have such a nice summer weekday afternoon here downtown Indianapolis on The Circle, 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I only wish that we had a lot to talk about. Anything cooking today, Colts-wise? We're just going to keep going. Jonathan Taylor, 24-7. All Taylor all the time. It's Derek Schultz filling in for JMV today. Uh, John out temporarily, and I am tagged in, and I'm excited to be here because uh, taking all of the the kidding nature aside, obviously we have just a, a ton to get to with the Colts in training camp and the after effects, aftershock, shock waves. I don't even know what to call it. The, the, the continuing reverberations. How about that? of the Jonathan Taylor saga and what we're seeing kind of unfold in Westfield after just really uh, a surreal week last week for this franchise. If you're a a longtime listener of this show or you're a longtime Indianapolis resident, you've kind of been through it, right? This isn't necessarily uncharted waters for you. You've, You've swam in choppy waves before. Especially when it comes to the Colts, but also with some of the other teams. You know, the Pacers have gone through some stuff. Obviously, IU's gone through a lot um, over the years. I've been around the Colts, I guess, in some capacity since 2005. I have followed them closely since about 2003. The, The Colts were never on my radar growing up where I grew up back east in Connecticut. We, we watched the Jets and the Giants, and I, the Patriots weren't even relevant then because they didn't start winning championships until I was in college. So the Colts weren't really on my radar until I went to IU, and then I had four le- roommates from lovely Lebanon, Indiana, my adopted Indiana hometown, and they were all just extreme, diehard, kick-you-right-in-the-face Colts fans. so the Monday night game against Tampa the comeback that was kind of my first season following the team the next year Peyton throws 49 touchdown passes breaks Marino's record Uh, they're back to the AFC championship game Uh, a couple of years after that obviously they win the Super Bowl so it was a a neat indoctrination into the Colts there early on because I, I leapt right in when they were on their ascent 
and they stayed there for a while. But the Peyton Neck situation to the Andrew Luck surprise retirement, I guess I should include Deflategate in there. When you think about, in this century, the wild, crazy, surreal weeks in Coltsdom, I think last week is right up there. Just because seemingly every hour, something else happened which sort of changed the conversation. And it started innocently enough. The whole running back market situation, which was more of a national conversation than a local one, but it bled over here locally because of what the Colts, we knew the Colts were were going through it with Jonathan Taylor, right? So it felt more relevant here than, say, in some other places where the, the running back situation is, is kind of not up to question. So we got a little taste of it in the middle of July, and, and Jonathan Taylor, who rarely tweets, tweeted about the running back market criticism. I think it was a Matt Miller tweet of ESPN, if I'm not mistaken, who tweeted, and and he was right in in Miller's defense, that most teams treat it as you draft somebody, you play them, you tag them, you bag them. And that's what all NFL teams, that's how they were operating when it came to running backs. Draft them, get four good years, tag them, get one more, They're 26, 27 years old, bag them. On to the next one. Next 22-year-old, boom, draft them. And start that cycle right over again. And so Taylor responded to that, and you thought, okay, well, he's he's frustrated. I'd be frustrated too. It would suck to be an NFL running back right now, Uh, at least when you take into consideration where they sit compared to their peers. Certainly it doesn't suck to make $4 million to play football, right? That, That doesn't suck to you and I. But compared to his peers, when you see the contracts that some of these quarterbacks are getting or even some of these offensive linemen are getting, that sucks to be in that position to know that your value is declining while everyone else is seemingly, even kickers for God's sake, is climbing. So you didn't really think anything of it when you saw Taylor make those comments. At least I didn't. But then next week, I think the first indication that okay, this doesn't smell pass the smell test. Something's not right here. Was this mystery addition to the pup list? Because the Colts had never mentioned that in OTAs. That had never really been discussed by the local media here, that, that there was anything up with an ankle or, or any other physical issue for Jonathan Taylor. And then suddenly the Colts are like, oh yeah, well, he's, uh, he's on the pup list. What? So then that's when sort of, I I think, you're on guard at least. Your defense shields are up. Like, hey, what's going on here? (laughs) Then the Jim Irsay comment about the running back situation kind of tying a bow on the national conversation from the previous week, which (sighs) we'll get into this with Irsay, but it wasn't really helpful or productive. It was one of those things that was better left unsaid. That gets said, and then this whole... Ursay versus the agent in Malkai Kawai and, and the back and forth on Twitter there, that throws some gasoline on the fire. And then Ursay has to clarify and say, hey, this wasn't about Taylor. And then on Saturday night, of course, all hell breaks loose because you have the meeting in the luxury bus. And then we come to find out that Taylor had a trade demand for earlier in the week and it goes public on Saturday night. And then Ursay comes back and says, we're absolutely not trading him. And then this back thing pops up a couple of hours later with Stephen Holder and Mike Chappell reporting that there's some sort of a back issue for Taylor. And then the non-football injury list comes into play, and then Taylor's costing himself more money, and then here we are. 
So I just wanted to give like a five-minute nutshell of where we are. And I think you guys fully understand kind of where we are right now. But I think it better underlines just how quickly this situation spiraled. Because on Friday of last week, the, the not this previous Friday, but the Friday before that, I think most of us were still on the understanding that the Colts and Taylor were going to talk and maybe an extension would get done before the season, but it still felt like an extension was kind of a fait accompli. I mean, that's how I thought. Given how the Colts have treated their own when it comes to extensions, especially guys whose contracts weren't even up. Quentin Nelson's wasn't up. Shaquille Leonard's wasn't up. Hell, they extended, if I'm not mistaken, Naheem Hines when he wasn't up. A backup. They're number two. So, just given what we had known about how the Colts had operated when it came to players entering the final year of their rookie deals, I I just thought, okay, yeah, there's no sense of urgency to getting this done, but this is going to get done. And I wasn't really sweating it happening. And I knew that with the, the running back market the way that it was, I, I thought, if anything, it would make it a little bit easier for the Colts to come to terms because you know what the franchise tag is going to be, so you might as well just maybe you make that a little bit more than what it is. Maybe we're talking $12 million, somewhere in that range, $13 million. And I thought that that would be fair and agreeable to both sides. But apparently, and, and this is a tough conversation to have, guys, because we, we, we don't really know what Jonathan Taylor is asking for. You know, I had somebody tweet me, that said, well, I, I heard that Jonathan Taylor is asking for $20 million. Look, I, I don't think Jonathan Taylor is an alien. He's not from outer space, right? Demanding $20 million is beyond ridiculous. That's beyond delusional. So that that's, I don't think, what's in play here. But I do think he wants to reset the market or at least be at top of the market and be in that range with Christian McCaffrey. But even if he wants that, the Colts aren't going to give him that. At least they've not given any indication that they're going to give that. And I don't think anybody in the NFL is going to give that. Because you look around at what's happening to NFL running backs who have been in similar situations, and and we can split hairs here and do running back rankings if you want, but I, I think most of us would agree that he's probably on par or right around the same tier as Saquon Barkley, right? And Barkley came out and had a, a very public dispute with the Giants. And that thing got messy and that thing got dirty, just kind of like how it's getting here with Taylor and the Colts. And Barkley had to come crawling back and accept $11 million, which is just over the franchise tag of what he would have made. And really, <laughs> that extra money is, is basically a favor from the Giants. That's something that they didn't have to do. But they did it because they wanted to kind of squash the situation. You know, we see what's happening with Josh Jacobs. The difference is, is that Jacobs isn't technically under contract right now. And you see what's happened with Joe Mixon in Cincinnati taking a pay cut just to stay there, just to be on the team. Dalvin Cook getting cut by the Vikings after a great season. And supposedly what's still a prime of his career. So you see all of this stuff happening and these guys aren't dumb. They, they, they know their business. And they know what the market is dictating. And these agents especially know that. And so if Taylor is coming to the table with 
these sort of demands with where the market is right now, uh, it, it is, it's not a buyer's market. It's a seller's market. And it looks like it's going to remain a seller's market for a long time in the NFL when it comes to running backs and just how we've devalued the position. And whether that makes you happy, mad, sad, whatever it is, that's what it is. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't change that. All NFL teams are operating the same way. So, again, it, it sucks for Taylor that that's the case, but that's sort of where we are in this whole conversation. So, a lot of the things that I'm, I'm seeing, at least for how this is being talked about nationally, is coming back on Ursay and, well, the Colts are mishandling this, the Colts are doing that. I'm not sit here to sit and, and cape for Jim Ursay. Um, there has been plenty to criticize the Colts owner about in the last year or so. For the most part, 2022 was a complete disaster. Every major decision that was made last season was the wrong one. Hiring Jeff Saturday was the wrong decision. And the results bared that out. <laughs> Even if you didn't have the epic collapse in Minnesota and giving up a fourth and 20 to the worst team in the NFL who had nothing to play for, who could be harmed by a loss in week 17 in Houston. Even if those two things didn't happen, it would still be the wrong decision. It was a joke. And everyone nationally knew it was a joke. And right, we, we bristled against that here in Indianapolis because we're like, you know, s- smaller market Midwest and whatever. We're going to show you. And then you kind of quickly realize, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah they, they, everybody was right. <laughs> this, was, this was absolutely the wrong decision. Everybody was right about this. You know, you, you bench Matt Ryan and then you unbench him and then you bench him, you unbench him. And Sam Ellinger shouldn't have even been out there. He's, he's not an NFL starting quarterback. I, I'm not even sure that he's a backup quarterback. And the press conference that night was Saturday and, and getting defensive and getting egotistical. And it, th- there was a lot not to like about a guy that I usually like in Jim Irsay. So if you want to poke holes in, in all of that or how they've handled the quarterback situation or having a shorter leash for Reich than he's had for Ballard, or you know, I'm not saying that his decision-making is above reproach. I'm, I'm not saying that. There is plenty to criticize with Jim Irsay. And the fact that he talks too much and that he's probably too honest. The, the things that he has said during this process were better left unsaid. But I don't think that he was wrong. We can argue whether or not he should have said anything. I don't think he should have said anything about the running back market, even if that was a response to Najee Harris or just a, a general thought on the running back market as opposed to something directed at Jonathan Taylor. And I don't think he should have said whatever that rambling response was on Saturday night about him and Jonathan Taylor dying and then no one's going to miss them. I, I, you guys saw the quote. You know what I'm talking about. But overall, this situation was created by a player and his agent picking a fight that they can't win. The Colts hold all the cards here. Fairly, unfairly, whatever it is, they hold all the cards. Taylor is under contract. If he holds out, not only does he lose money and money that he can't really afford, because this is a guy that's only, he's only made $6 million so far. Now to you and me, $6 million is a lot of money. $6 million for a, a guy that's three years in the NFL, that, that's not a lot of money. That's, that's not a lot to be sacrificing five hundred grand if he misses the rest of camp. 
if he gets activated from Pup and then holds out. So not only does he not get paid if he holds out, he doesn't accrue the fourth year. And if he doesn't accrue the fourth year, then he can't become an unrestricted free agent, which means the Colts can tender him, slap a first-round tender on him, no team's going to pay a first-round pick for a running back. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Walter Payton from 1984. No one's going to attach a, a first-round pick to get somebody. And then he'd be making less than he would in the franchise tag. So if we extrapolate this all out and, and we, we look at every decision that Jonathan Taylor can make here, the one that still makes the most sense, at least with where we sit today, Tuesday afternoon at what time is it, James? 3.15. Quarter after three on Tuesday afternoon. With where we sit today, the decision that makes the most sense for Jonathan Taylor is to bite the bullet, come back, and have a huge 2023 for the Colts. Point blank, period. And then go back to the negotiating table. Maybe you show that you are invaluable to the Colts because of the rapport that you've built with Anthony Richardson in his first year. Maybe you get back to being an all-pro like you were 2021. I mean, don't forget, Jonathan Taylor, last year, that was a lost year. That never got off the ground for him. Jonathan Taylor in his NFL career has had one and a half productive seasons. The second half of his rookie year, his first half, if, if you guys remember, he was a disaster. He got benched in the Baltimore game. He was awful. But then the second half, the light bulb turned on. Bang. And then you saw that he could become a special player. And then, of course, the sophomore year was incredible. One of the best seasons that a Colts running back has ever had. And the Colts have had a lot of good running backs. And a lot of great running back seasons. But we're talking about a guy that has had a year and a half of great football. And we're a year removed from the year and a half of great football. So, as much as I would like to place this on the Colts and say that they've mishandled this situation and give the guy his money and all of that, I understand where they're coming from. We just talked about it. I understand Taylor's frustrations. I do. I get it. I get all of these running backs. It sucks. It's terrible to be in that position where you've been devalued and your peers are all making a lot of money and you've got to fight for what is barely market value. I get it. But I also get where the Colts are coming from as well. They don't have to extend him. They don't have to trade him. And even if they did put him out there, what's a team going to give up for Taylor? Unless you're a team thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to get him for $4 million and then I'm going to tag him twice. Then you're going to end up with the same exact unhappy player that the Colts have right now. Because Taylor wants a new deal. So this isn't only, I want to be traded, I want to go somewhere else. This is, I want to be traded so I can get my deal. That's what this is about. So if you're trading for him, you have to know that he's going to be expecting an extension. So Taylor can't get an extension right now from the team that he plays for that he wants, regardless of what number that is. Who knows? Let's say it's 15, 16 million. Okay, he can't get that deal. So now the decision is, I'm going to force a trade where a team not only has to give me the deal that I'm not getting from the Colts, but they also have to give up draft capital to do it. A day two pick, maybe. Second, third rounder. I mean, I, I think at minimum, that's what the Colts would be looking for. And, and I just, maybe a team out there wants to give that up. I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. It's a tough position to be in. Because if the, the Colts want to play hardball, 
They really can. I, I don't think they're going to use the non-football injury list and take a salary away for 2023. I, it, it's hard for me to envision it getting that bad. But that is still a card in their hand. Like I said, the Colts hold all the cards. And Jonathan Taylor and his agent are trying to play a losing hand. They're drawing dead, as they say in poker. There is no card right now that can really save them. So the best option, again, with where we sit today, is to fold, I think. And you take the PR hit and... You kind of have your tail between the legs a little bit. And it's a hit to the ego to kind of chest up, if you will, like they did last week, he and his camp, and then back down. I mean, we just saw Saquon Barkley do it. But I think that's the best option for him here moving forward. I just hate to think that this is potentially the lasting memory that we've had of Jonathan Taylor. Because that primetime game in December of 2021, the Patriots are here. It's a Saturday night game. Patriots were leading the AFC at that point. Colts jump out to a 20-0 lead. Patriots start rallying back. It's 20-17. There's two minutes left. Carson Wentz was a complete walking disaster in that game. Every time he touched the ball, you risk something horrible happening. So everyone in the building knew that the ball was going to Jonathan Taylor there. Two minutes left, game on the line. Patriots stack the box. Everyone in the building knows. Bill Belichick to the dude sitting in the 600-level Lucas Oil Stadium that's drunk out of his mind. Everyone knew. Coherent enough in thought, even with all the intoxication, to know that the ball's going to Jonathan Taylor. They handed to Jonathan Taylor a 70-yard touchdown run. And at that time, remember, we thought, and then they followed it with the, the Christmas game against Arizona that they won, where Wentz was a lot more effective, at least late. And they won that game, and they were 9-6, and six, and they were on the verge of making the playoffs. And you thought, here we go. Jonathan Taylor, run the damn ball. Colts are going to be contenders. And now here we are, 18 months later. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five whole Colts wins later. And a lot of spilt milk later. And this is where we sit today. And it, it sucks. It's unfortunate that we kind of keep having to go through this in this town. It happened in a way with with Andrew Luck because we didn't know at the time that the 2014 Divisional in Denver was going to be the high watermark for the Andrew Luck era, only in his third season at 25 years old, but it was. We didn't know at the time that Paul George going on Kimmel in January of 14, when the Pacers had the best record in the NBA, was going to be the high watermark of the Paul George era in Indianapolis. It ended up being the peak of that era. We didn't know at the time that Victor Oladipo kind of doing the this is my city thing after all the game-winning shots in the 17-18 season and the beginning of 18-19 before he ruptured his quad was going to be the peak of the Oladipo era in Indianapolis. It ended up being the peak of the Oladipo era of Indianapolis. And I certainly hope that a December game in year two, the walk-off touchdown against New England, isn't all that we get to enjoy for Jonathan Taylor. I don't care if you're pro-Colts, if you're pro-Taylor, or if you don't even really care. I think we all agree that that would be a real shame if the fans here had to go through that again. Because we keep thinking the next guy is going to be the franchise guy. Okay, he's here to stay. Like, we're doing this with Tyrese Halliburton right now, right? Where, well, he's here to stay forever. 
Signed through his 29th birthday. So we're good. Let's go. These things change in sports so drastically and so quickly. So it was kind of a a slow slide with Andrew Luck because the injuries started right after that, starting with the beginning of the 2015 season. It was a slow slide for Paul George as well. He snapped his leg in half with with Team USA on the basketball stanchion, remember? And then eh, they signed like Monte Ellis, and they they never really got back off the ground once David West and Roy Hibbert crumbled to the ground and, and all of that dissolved for the core of that Pacers team. And we saw it happen fairly quickly, certainly more quickly with uh, with Victor Oladipo. And the injury happened, and then I think he started listening to the wrong people, and maybe an ego got in the way a little bit. And then he just made misstep after misstep in contract negotiations and, and left tens of million dollars on the table. And it, it it's a shame. It's a shame that it ended the way that it did, not only for him in, in Indiana, but just you know the, the way his NBA career has gone, It's uh, it's too bad. It's a lesson in what not to do, at least from a business dealing standpoint. But I hope that we're not in for the same with Jonathan Taylor. We're going to talk to Jim Aiello about this topic and more coming up here in just a couple of minutes. 239-1070. Let's go to the phone lines with our friend Eric, who dialed us in today. Hi, Eric. How are you? Uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, well, I've, I've, I've been paying a lot of attention, listening, listening to radio comments and listening from, uh, from fans and, you know, different stuff on media and, and everything. And this is one of the few times I'm going to say, I feel like Jim Irsay is completely in the right. And I'm going to say why when, when, when you look at the last 10 years of the NFL, after the fourth year of a running back. Nobody pays him because it's a complete disaster. We can go with Todd Gurley. We can go with Alvin Kamara. We can go with Zeke Elliott. We can go Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon ain't even in the league, by the way. But you remember in San Diego, yeah. they wanted to pay him so so bad. And then the whole fan base, they, they thought that they lost everything in the world because they traded in Denver. Well, he plays like a year and a half in Denver, and he's not in the league no more. I'm not paying no running back, no running back over – over 10 mil a year, and this guy wants 10, 10 to 16 mil. No way. If you ask me, I think, I think Jonathan Teller requesting a trade is the best thing that's ever happened to the Colts. I, honestly, because you're able to get something out of him now. If you sign him to a contract right now, a year and a half from now, you're going to be looking at that contract like, why in the world did we do that? It's the most. I think it's a really ignorant thing to to pay a running back that the only running back in the whole entire league that I would pay anything like that to is Christian McCaffrey because he can play three or four different positions not yeah. not to mission he's your hunt and kickoff returner and your third string quarterback yeah he's a unicorn like, yeah like you have to have a Swiss army knife kind of running back like if Aaron Sproles played in this era right now he'd be one of them running backs you know like, to me, you do not pay that. And as far as I'm concerned, this team, the roster, the way it's constructed, people can say what they want, but every everything you see, the Colts are only predicted to win three to six games. Jonathan Taylor, even with Jonathan Taylor, they're predicted to only win three to six games. So why pay him? I don't under I don't understand it. And as far as I'm concerned, I like like they're like. 
you're running into a season where you have a lot of hope. You hope Jonathan Taylor's healthy. You hope Anthony Richardson is better than what he was in college. You hope Darius Leonard isn't injury-prone like he's been the last two years. You hope that, that Quentin Nelson will block again and sell it and somebody run right through after he got paid. As soon as Quentin Nelson got paid, he don't block. You know? It's like yeah, Eric, you have I, a lot of hope here. I, I think you what know? you're saying, and, and thanks for the call, I think what you're saying is the approach that the Colts are taking, especially the part about, hey, let's see it for this year again. And let's see it come back because it's it's gone downhill because of last year. Yes, he was injured and all that. I'll give Taylor a little bit of a break. I still think, you know, he's 24 years old. I still think he could be a really productive player. I'm not anti-signing Jonathan Taylor. I'm just not letting Jonathan Taylor reset the market and giving him four guaranteed years or anything like that. We'll talk more about it with Jim Aiello of The Athletic next. It's The Ride with JMV. Derek Schultz filling in 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. You go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Colts have been a great starting team. They get off to fast starts, but right now they're looking to close it out and hang on. It's 20-17. to 17, 2-11 left. Second and eight for the Colts. Wentz under center. Hands off to Taylor. Taylor, big run! He's at the 45, 50, 40, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, touchdown! Jonathan Taylor, 67 yards to the house! J.T. Paynard! Oh, the great Matt Taylor with a fantastic call of what is, with where we sit today, the high-water mark of Jonathan Taylor's career. Really, potentially the high-water mark, I think, of the post-Andrew Luck Colts. I guess you could say the 2020 season with Phillip Rivers, and they actually went to the playoffs that year, and uh, I'm not going to get into the Buffalo game. That was a game that they could have won, and I think they – I was a pro Frank Wright guy, and I still kind of am, but that was a game that I thought was mismanaged in a lot of different ways. But ultimately still a great individual moment, probably the best play, single play, of the post-Luck Colts era, and one of the loudest, if not the loudest, that I've ever heard Lucas Oil Stadium – in the 15 years that the building has been open. Joining us now, a guy that used to spend a lot of time at Lucas Oil Stadium before he decided to leave the state of Indiana, and I'm dragging him back on the India Airways to talk more Colts drama. It's our friend Jim Aiello, formerly of the Indy Star, now a senior writer, uh, senior NFL editor, I guess I should say, for The Athletic. And Jim, I I brought you on, and you thought that you could just leave to Illinois and and leave all of this (laughs) drama behind, yet yet here you are, again, talking more Colts drama all these years later. You want to get back into the Brissette stuff, or should we talk Jonathan Taylor instead? Oh, you know I want to talk to Kobe Brissett, the most unstoppable <laughs> quarterback on fourth and one in the history of the NFL. So, yes. Uh, no, I'm just flattered you remembered you remembered me. I am. I'm very flattered. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to join you and, and talk Colts and running backs and the, all this drama. It's ridiculous. I still can't believe 
that it escalated this quickly. Yeah, I mean, we're in disbelief, I think, here in India as well for how this is all shaken out. And primarily, I invited you on because I thought you could lend sort of a, a national, non-indie perspective to what's going on because I know you've been keeping a keen eye on, on what's happening in particular in New York with the Saquon Barkley spat with the Giants because I think most people view him and Taylor along the same tier and the same caliber of player. Are there situations from what you know about what's going on in India and what happened in New York, which has since I know been reconciled with his contract, uh, at least on a, on a one-year short-term basis, are, are they at all similar? You know, not really. I don't think. I mean, obviously, you have the whole running back market and that cratering, and obviously that that does tie them together in that way. But with Barkley, there's a, there's a couple of things you have to keep in mind. Is that first of all, um, there's a franchise tag, so that he's playing on that, which is you know, Jonathan Taylor is still trying to. I mean, now at this point, I use the word escape his rookie contract yeah. because that's where he's at, and 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 the fact that he's only making. You know, I say only in its relative $4 million versus Saquon Barkley, who's going to make $11 million on the franchise tag. But the other thing that is important in this is that Saquon Barkley was very, very, very concerned about his image in, in New York and with the Giants long term. I mean, it's very important to him to be um, to be remembered and to be a guy that is seen as a leader and a captain. And I'm not saying these things aren't important to Jonathan Taylor. He just hasn't. You know, we haven't heard him talk about those things quite as much. And I guess that's maybe the shocking part about this is that it seemed like he was on that track, right? Like he was trending toward being a face of the Colts, maybe as he already was, and he was going to be one of those guys people remember, like an Edger and James. Um, and, you know, he said all the right things. And typically the Colts have been in the line of, let's reward those guys. Let's reward those guys before they get to the open market. Um, you know, that's Darius Leonard, that's. Brady yep. Smith, that's Ryan Kelly, that's Quentin Nelson. They have over and over and over again rewarded the guys before they get to the open market for being not just good players, but being you know good people and, and people that they're proud to represent the Colts. And again, everything was trending toward that being the case for Jonathan Taylor. And so where I think this is somewhat different, though, to get, you know, to get to the end here, is that when Jeremy Sayre revealed they didn't even offer him a contract, that there wasn't even talk of an extension, there was no numbers exchange, I think that... That's got to be why I think Jonathan Taylor and his agent are so upset. So it's different, you know, again, Barkley and the Giants did negotiate numbers. They just couldn't come to an agreement. So these situations, again, they're similar in a lot of ways, but also have a lot of key differences. Devil's advocate, if and, and we don't know what Jonathan Taylor and his camp asked for. I know there are rumors about what he's been asking for, but could the Colts have been thinking, if they knew that Jonathan Taylor wanted Christian McCaffrey money, could their line of thinking been, well, we don't want to offer what we were going to offer because that would insult him even more than no offer at all? I, I mean, maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but that's just, it popped into my head. It's, it's possible. I mean, again, I think asking for Christian McCaffrey money in this current climate is probably silly. I don't even think that Saquon Barkley asked for, um, for, for Christian McCaffrey money because and, and Saquon Barkley, again, I think Jonathan Taylor would even admit, while he can catch the ball, he, he's not the, the, the quite the three-down threat that uh, Christian McCaffrey is and then even Saquon Barkley is. So sure. I think starting – and again, it seems like contracts are trending down for running backs right now a little bit. Nobody wants to get to the Christian McCaffrey. I don't think anybody that's trying to set a new standard for running backs right now is, is thinking things through. And so uh, if that's where Jonathan Taylor and his agent are, then yeah, probably, then there is no starting point, really, because that's, that's just not what the market is dictating. However, you know, if they offered him something in the range of what the franchise tag was or slightly above that, or the Nick Chubb contract, which I think was, you know, three years, $36 million, with, I think, 24 or 25 guaranteed, if they were in that ballpark, um, 
I, you have to think Jonathan Taylor and Adrian Leith entertain it. I mean, maybe they didn't want it or accept it, but they have to entertain it. But anyway, no, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, that could be that they, they just didn't want to make an offer that would insult him at all. But I think he, it came down at the end that he's feeling more insulted now. Yeah, I, I think it was just one of those things where they wanted to wait and see. And to your point, Jim, Jonathan Taylor's like, what do you mean wait and see? You didn't wait and see with all these other guys. So, you yeah. know, what are we doing here when it comes to the extension? I know that neither side when it comes to Ursay or Taylor and his agent have, have necessarily kind of cloaked themselves in glory over the past seven to ten days. But And I'm normally pro player, Jim. Like, I... I don't usually side with the billionaires. I want to see guys get paid. I, I do. And I want them to cap uh, capitalize on these very short windows, especially for running backs, when they actually can get those kind of dollars. But I just kind of side with the Colts here because I, I feel like a lot of the gasoline on the fire has been from Taylor and his camp sort of picking a fight where they and they just don't have any leverage. You know, you can say what you want about the Jacob situation or the Barkley situation, what we've talked about. They actually weren't under contract, right? Because of right. the tag and, and not and being able to hold out. In in Taylor's case, it, it just he doesn't have really any leverage at all, I don't think. No, his best leverage was being the kind of the the Boy Scout, the good soldier, yeah. the guy that, you know, they they want to be the face of the franchise in the future there and and hey, we want to reward you because you've been good. And then you know, and again, I'm not blaming either side, but what happened was Jim Mercer tweeted out something about the CBA and how they can't, you know, it's, it's bad faith that they're trying to renegotiate the CBA right now. And that's when Jonathan Taylor's agent stepped in and said what he said. And that's how this whole thing kind of came unglued. Um, but I'm with you. Like, I'm typically the guy that's, you know, that wants players to get paid um, and, and get, especially running backs who don't have a large window to get this money. So, Again, the argument for me on Jonathan Taylor's side is less about being a running back in the production that will come later as it is, hey, the Colts historically have tried to reward the guys that, you know, that that have earned it. And again, even with the Edger and James comparison, I know that's come up. I think Jimmerson himself brought it up saying he let Edger and James go. Well, yeah, sure, that's true. In that situation, that did happen, but you were also paying Peyton Manning quite a bit of money, where in this situation, your cap is actually not that bad going into the future. I think they have quite a bit of money now, and a lot of the contracts that they've committed to some of the guys, you know, already, the guys we've already talked about, those are either expiring soon or they can get out of them relatively soon. So their future cap isn't really that clogged with big contracts and money. So they could give Jonathan Taylor money before, you know, I think they would be so happy if they had to pay Anthony Richardson in a few years, uh, but they could they could be you know they could be done from the Jonathan Taylor contract by the end of that. So again, I see Taylor's side, and you have to you got you got to fight for the money when you're at the peak of your powers, and that's the other problem for Taylor right now is if he was coming off that 2021 season, yeah. he'd have a little bit more leverage. But after what happened last year, he just wasn't quite the same, you know, playing on the ankle injury and missing games and not being quite as effective. I mean, yeah, like you said, his, all of his leverage is gone, including the fact that he just wasn't quite himself last year. And I know Ursay wanted to bring up Edge, but you had Edge for seven seasons. It's kind of apples and bowling balls in the previous CBA <laughs> compared to where we are now. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Jim. With, with where we sit today, uh -oh. what do you think is the most likely scenario? And I'll present three scenarios. The Colts trade Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor holds out for the season. Or Jonathan Taylor bites the bullet, comes back, plays for the Colts the entire 2023 campaign and goes back to the negotiating table. The third one. I think that's, that's gotta be the option. And again, I also, you know, James, uh, James Boyd, writer at the athletic. Yeah, he's, I edited him. He was late. He made a great, he wrote a great story today, kind of laying out what Jonathan Taylor's options are. All three of those things that you described and how feasible they actually are in terms of holding out how much money he'd be giving up, whether or not he'd accrue another season to, you know, to finish out his contract. But 
And I think ultimately the conclusion you have to draw is that Jonathan Taylor pretty much has to bite the bullet. Now, there's a couple ways this could go. To me, you kind of, if you're Taylor, you kind of take the Aaron Rodgers example is, oh, you're going to draft Jordan Love? Watch this. And I go and win back-to-back MVPs. And then eventually he pushes his way out of, of Green Bay. Now, again, that's obviously a little bit longer timeline than Taylor has and wants. But essentially is play, be the best version of Jonathan Taylor that you can be. And then at the end of the year, if you're still unhappy, and the, if you're still unhappy, you go to Chris Ballard, you go to Jim Mercer and say, I don't want to be here. And so either let me walk or franchise tag and trade me, do whatever you have to do but I don't want to be here. And I don't think you want guys who don't want to be here, but ultimately his only leverage is going to be if he's desired on the open market. And that's only going to happen if he has an outstanding season. And James brought up a great point in that piece because, you know, unlike some of these quarterbacks who even on a rookie deal get gobs, tens of million dollars of guaranteed money. If you're sacrificing $4 million this year, if you're Jonathan Taylor, you've only made 6 million in your first three years. You know that, that yeah. he doesn't have a ton of money that a pile of money that he can sit on to really afford a holdout. I, I just really don't think that that's a, a realistic option for him. We're talking with Jim Aiello, who's the national editor uh, and NFL editor, senior NFL editor. I want to make sure I get that title, right? I should just look up your <laughs> LinkedIn page uh, for the athletic formerly of the Indy star. Uh, again, to lend the local and national perspective, Jim, because you've had a f- uh, one of your feet in both camps uh, during your career. How do you feel like Jim Ursay is viewed as an owner nationally compared to how he's viewed here in Central Indiana? It's interesting. I, so I, I think a lot of people. I think Central people in Central Indiana have the understanding of how much Jim Ursay wants to win, how much he really wants, how much he cares about the Colts, about the players, like the things that he says about the players. Um, that have passed through the Colts organization and how close he feels to them, that they're family. That's true. He feels that. That's that's the way he is, and that does make him a good owner. And he desperately wants to win. I think, you know, even fans in Central Indiana tend to tease when he talks about all those championships, but that's what he wants. That's the, that's the thing he thinks about the most. So um, that's the perception in Central Indiana. I would say that the perception outside of that is – a little different. Now, I will say, like, he, he kind of became the face of the anti-Dan Snyder movement uh, within, among the NFL owners, and I think that was well-received. I think a lot of people were really happy about that from, from, from Jim Ursay that he did that. Um, but when it comes to this stuff and when he says things, like he said, about me dying and Jonathan Taylor not being in the league anymore, I think some people, you know, kind of roll their eyes. Whether, you know, it's true in some ways that the NFL would move on without him and them, but... You know, they tend to roll their eyes a little bit, and, and he can say, you know, things that, that people are maybe don't, aren't the happiest with, especially agents. So, again, that perception outside is, is maybe not as favorable as it is in central Indiana. This goes back to the national conversation that kind of kick-started this whole kerfuffle between Taylor and the Colts on running backs in general. But if you had your druthers, how would we fix – this situation for running backs, assuming that it's fixable, would you not allow them to be tagged in the next CBA or make their rookie deal shorter? Is there something that comes to mind that could fix this for them so they can better maximize their windows so we're not in the situation that, that all these guys are in where we currently sit? I should say I'm not an expert on this thing, but I think Dominique Foxworth was the one who tweeted out about that, that essentially an incentive player pool that there's, you know, it's not part of the salary cap, but players who are effectively underpaid are paid more money based on playing time. Um, if a, a larger portion of that pool was dedicated to running backs, now again, that's going to be hard to get other players to agree on from you know, playing other positions, but that seems like a good way uh, to reward running backs earlier in their careers. I've always been an advocate 
of um, of, of shorter rookie contracts for running backs just because they get to the market a little bit sooner. The problem is it doesn't, it's not realistic, frankly, and, and neither is probably the franchise. I mean, there's not a single player in the NFL who likes the franchise tag, and they haven't been able to get rid of it in any of these CBAs recently. And so, and the other problem is if you're negotiating with the owners and you want something like this, you're going to have to give something up. And how high of a priority is it going to be for the NFLPA to fight for one particular position and then what do they have to give up to the owners to get it? Are they going to have to play 25 games? Like, it's just, it just doesn't seem feasible. So I think in a, in a perfect world, you could, you, could, you, know, you could do something with the incentives and you could also do something with a short and rookie contract so they get back to the, to the market. But I just, you know. And the other thing I will say is that the CBA doesn't expire until 2030. Yeah, so long time. This deal, yeah, exactly. Nothing's <laughs> going to get straightened out anytime soon. And the NFL has a way of changing a lot in, in three or four or five year cycles. So who knows if the problems we're dealing with now or running backs are dealing with now will be the same problems running backs are dealing with in 2030. So many things in sports in general and certainly in football are cyclical and we see them go out and then come back in. But with where we sit today, are, are you under the impression that this is it for running backs? I mean, are, are they devalued now forever? Will we ever get back to, let's say, the, the middle 90s where it was still something, kind of like the NBA center, right? Like the Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson days. Are, are we ever returning to that with NFL running backs? No, no and I borrowed this from another podcast. I heard this on, but uh, not unless they start, like if you put a cap on how many passes you can throw in an NFL game. Like that's the only way I could ever see that happening is, no, I mean, I think, I think the NFL has grown. It's, it's become a spread game, and, and it's fun to watch. So I don't think there's any reason to want it to go back. That said, I think, you know, you look at defenses, modern defenses, now they're getting smaller, a little lighter, faster, you know, so they can cover more sideline to sideline. And smart teams are going to try to take advantage of that by saying, okay, if you're going to get smaller and not going to put as much up the middle as you did before, we're going to be able to run you over. And I think you've seen some teams try this. I mean, I think the Chiefs have this kind of this perfect marriage of having Patrick Mahomes and also a dominant offensive line that makes them just incredibly hard to defend. They can run the ball when they want if they have to. If your if your if your defense is essentially just saying we're not going to let Patrick Mahomes beat us, so I think there'll be a swing. It's like you said, it's cyclical. It's a pendulum. It'll swing back a little bit, and I think the market will, you know, will set for running backs. I don't think we'll probably get. Well, I shouldn't say $16 because the cap's going to keep going up. So whatever percentage of the cap that McCaffrey took up when he signed that contract, I don't think we'll ever probably get to that height again. But I do think that there's going to be running backs. Maybe it's a B. John Robinson. Maybe it's somebody else that will, you know, get to a, it'll, it'll $14, 15000000 or $16 million when the cap goes up. And that'll just be kind of the standard as opposed to it continues to rise in every position. So, which, you know, stinks to say for running backs because they're such a big part of offenses. And they're also the, you know, the outside of quarterbacks are some of the biggest faces in the yeah. NFL, but just the way they're treated and how interchangeable they've become. And again, I don't like saying that because you know, these are people and they're, <laughs> these guys are damn good at their jobs, but I just, that's just kind of the way the NFL has moved. Will Jonathan Taylor come back, even if it's not as a cold, will he ever be the player that he was in 21 again? It sounds crazy to say about a 24 year old. Yeah, I think so. I think he's, I think he's too, he's, he's so young still that I think he could be that guy again. Obviously, he's going to need the help of the offensive line, which he didn't get much help on last year. Because, um, again, that's, that's part of the reason the running, you know, running backs aren't being paid as much is because, you know, running games are tied to so many different things. It's whether or not, you know, the, the quarterback's actually a threat to pass, whether or not your offensive line can block and, and, and people respect that. So, again, it's tied to so many different things. But, yeah, in terms of just pure talent, I don't think Jonathan Taylor – I mean, I have – no one's seen him play this year, but I doubt he's lost his step. I think he had an ankle procedure. It should heal up, and he should get back to being Jonathan Taylor again. 
Last thing here, Jim, I'll ask you one non-Jonathan Taylor question. Uh, I just wanted to get your take on Anthony Richardson overall and if the Colts, you think, made the right decision in, in that spot and just kind of how they've handled everything when it comes to finding their new quarterback finally after years of just slapping Band-Aids on it over and over again with veterans. I won't say you found the president of the Anthony Richardson fan club, but I'm I'm a member. I'm one of the maybe one of the founding members of it. I, I'm such a huge fan of what he could potentially be, and I I think Chris Ballard probably put it best is like, swing, if you're going to do it, swing for the fences, man. That's what this yeah. guy can be. I, I I don't think, and again, this is not I would say this is not my opinion. I don't think I break down quarterbacks quite as well as the NFL scouts or other analysts I watch, but. I've heard a lot of people say, I don't think he's far as far away. I don't think he's as raw as some people think he might be. I think the feet, um, you know, he's got to he's got to learn what NFL caliber footwork is, and that's going to take some time. But once he does, my goodness, all the other tools that he has, um, the IQ that he has, and again, this is just things I've read about him, but just everything he can put together, uh, I think he's just like the epitome of what the modern quarterback can be. Somebody who's going to be a threat, both running and passing. Um, you know, you see flashes of it, obviously, with that 60-yard bomb he threw during camp the other day, just so just so easily and effortlessly. Now, I'm – again, I think they got the right coach. Again, I don't know Shane Steichen personally, but just watching the system that he ran in Philadelphia and making it so much easier on, on Jalen Hurts as he grew in the NFL, um, I, I just think everything is kind of coming together in a way that it should work out for Anthony Richardson. If it doesn't, I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised. Now, I say – I don't think it's – I'm not going to say it has to happen this year. But sure. I definitely think it'll happen for Anthony Richardson. And that's what sucks about this whole Taylor thing is that the offseason, things were looking good, right? It, people like the head coach they picked. People yeah. like the quarterback they picked. Everything was kind of calm. And then, yeah, camp starts and all hell breaks loose. So. It's, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate because, like I said, I, I, I really thought we'd all be on Anthony Richardson watch every single day. And I feel like we barely talked about him as, a, as like a cult community here. So Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. He gets to operate in, in, you know, under under the cloak of what's happening around him. So I, maybe that's a positive thing for him. You can check out Jim's work okay. at Jim Aiello on Twitter. He's going to be the co-host of The Upper Quartile along with James Boyd of The Athletic on The Athletic Podcast Network as well. Appreciate it, my man. It was great to catch up and uh, hope you and the family are doing well and look forward to our future conversations. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me. This is blessed. That's Jim Aiello. He was great. I, I loved dealing with him when he was at the Star and he decided to uh, to move on and go to Illinois and start a family and um, coming back, circling back. It all circles back, right? Except potentially for NFL running backs. When we circle back on this show, Greg Rakestraw, the ISC Sports Network, is going to join us. We'll talk more Colts. You know him from the Colts postgame show and the preseason voice of the Horseshoe Helmets as well. We'll get into that with Rake when we return. It's the Ride with JMV. I'm filling in. My name's Derek Schultz. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. 93.5 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back. Filling in for JMV. I'm Derek Schultz. Appreciate you joining us on this lovely summer Tuesday. Some of you have the kiddos either back in school or they're about to be back in school later this week. 
We have a soon-to-be first grader, which is hard to believe, who doesn't start until not next week, but the week after. So he still has uh, – he's actually at Grammy and Grampy's today. Everybody's got cutesy names for their grandparents, right? Like Nana and Pap. Uh, ours are Grammy and Grampy. And then my wife's parents, who are named Sal and Steve, are Grammy Sal and um, Grampy Rosie. Her maiden name was Rose. But Grammy and Grampy's today and then back in school. But um, I know it's it's hectic right now and schedules are really ramping up and you've got 800 million things to do. So I appreciate you taking whatever time you can out of your schedule to listen to the show, especially when the usual host and John is not here. So appreciate you tuning in, whether it's on 93.5 or 107.5, the fan on the radio dial or in the YouTube lounge. Thanks for hanging. And um, we've still got two more full hours to go and more on Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. And I, I honestly don't know if we're going to even get into – other things. I mean, we might talk a little bit about Colts camp in general because they were at it again today in Westfield. But I, I was kind of going through my notes this morning because I'm I'm sort of a spaz and I have to prepare for everything. And I'm doing like an outline of segment by segment of what we're going to discuss. And I know we're going to have Jim and we're going to have Rake here in a little bit. And you know, kind of outlining what all we we're going to talk about today. And I thought, you know, do I, you know, James had even texted me. He's like, Hey, do you want anybody else for the five o'clock hour? And I was like, No. I, I think we're just going to do this. I think we're just going to keep the JT marathon going on the show because this is a topic that's like leading national shows. And it's it's very rare. Unfortunately, it's never positive news, but it's very rare that the Colts or Pacers or anything in Indiana, IU, Purdue, anything like that leads national sports shows. But the Jonathan Taylor stuff, at least for what I heard yesterday on national radio, was was leading those shows. Now, I've got some thoughts on how this topic is being broached nationally and and how it's being painted nationally because I, I don't think it's accurate in a lot of ways of how it's being painted by the national folks but obviously you guys are used to that happening we're used to ha- that happening here in this market with you know people flying in from New York and LA and, and telling us what they think is going on when I think locally we know a lot more about what's going on Greg Rakestraw joins us top of the hour more on the Colts conversation and your phone calls in the four o'clock hour it's the ride with JMV 93.5 and 107.5 the fan Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Now you listen here. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Now go away. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back. Four o'clock hour. It's The Ride with JMV. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. I'm Derek Schultz. Thanks to James Adams for making sure our signal gets to you. That's what we used to say with the producers. I feel like for whatever the reason this is, and I don't know why this is the case, it's completely random as are most things in life, but I have a a full disclosure, I have a full-time job outside of this that, you know, technically when you have a full-time job, it's it's a nine to five, even though I work remotely, and I can't fill in just willy-nilly like whenever I want to. So, so sometimes uh, Todd Meyer here, who's great at, at, the, at the fan, asks me, hey, Derek, can you can you fill in and I'll give you a couple of dates here? And, and I'm usually like, yeah, I can do this one. I can't do that one. I can do this one, but I can't do that one. For whatever the reason, it feels like every time I fill in, specifically on this show, it, it happens to be a Tuesday 
And on Tuesdays, we happen to talk to one of my closest friends in Greg Rakestraw, who joins us now on the hotline. Isn't that weird, Rake? Do you feel like, like, am I bothering you uh, to, to keep hitting you up to be a guest every time I fill in? No, this is the universe bringing us together, as it largely has since 2005. And especially knowing that I was in Memphis yesterday when Query and Schultz was filmed at the Palatial ISC Sports Network Studios. We didn't get that quality time together. This is karma's way of making it up, you and I having a chat over the radio airwaves this afternoon. How is Memphis, by the way? I've always wanted to go, and it's because I I have this weird, kind of almost dark fascination with human tragedy, and I've always wanted to go to the Lorraine Motel, but also just there's a lot of history in Memphis as well. Um, I didn't know if you had experienced, I I know you're you're well-traveled with all your broadcasting duties, if you had experienced Memphis before, but we were thinking about going for fall break and, and sort of making a trip out of it, but what's been your experience in Memphis so far? So I have I did the Beale Street thing about 17, 18 years ago with Amy back when we were kid-free. It was absolutely wonderful. They basically put sawhorses at the top of the hill, which is closest to the river, and the bottom of the hill, which is the FedEx Forum, and you can take your beer and go from bar to bar to bar. It is tremendous. Um, I, I have not done the Lorraine Museum. I have not done Graceland. I did do the Gibson Guitar Factory Tour because it's downtown. I did not do Sun Studios. This time I had like I was there for like two days, twice in six days, and just scheduling wise didn't have much of a chance to kind of go out and, and do the social calendar, you know, sort of thing. Um, but it, it to me it is a great weekend destination. I think you and Ashley would have a lovely time. Yeah, and it sounds like it's a great eating destination, which is always priority number one whenever I go to a new place to to find all the good food and the Memphis barbecue. I'm bummed here, Rake, because this had been a really nice and seemingly pretty calm Colts offseason. I I think most fans were excited about turning the page, even with the the tepid expectations for actual win total for this year's team. But now it just feels like all of that has been kind of thrown out the window in the last seven to 10 days. And we're we're back into like chaos mode, like we were in November and December of last year. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, And obviously, I think the excitement part is right, too, uh, because I will go back to the opening day that fans could be there last Wednesday, and I was floored as I was driving into practice and got there maybe five minutes before things were about to kick off. I have never experienced a crowd like that for a non-night practice in now these six or so years that we have gone to Grand Park. That place was absolutely packed last Wednesday. And I thought, as per usual, you did a good job of kind of setting the bar of expectations. There might be a handful of people that think this is a borderline playoff team. Nobody is thinking this is a Super Bowl team or or, or maybe even borderline an AFC South contender. I think most people would be happy if they're close to 500 this year. And yet people are still going by the thousands. People still care about this football team. But Again, it seems like we can't have nice things for some reason during training camp around here, and uh, team chaos is a good way to put it uh, because that's kind of what it feels like the running back position right now. And I'll always defend this fan base. There are a lot of people that say, oh, this is uh, this is a soft fan base or a soft market, and it's a fair-weather market. I think all uh, markets in, in some form or fashion are, are a little bit fair weather. But I, I, I think what's great about the fans here is that they, they so desperately always want to believe. If you just give yep. a Pacers fan or a Colts fan a sliver of hope, they're going to take it and run with it. If the, if, you're, if the team exceeds expectations 
people here go nuts about it, and I mean mm-hmm. that in the nicest way possible. But let's look back at this past Pacers year, right? They were a 35-win team. You would have thought they had won 50 games, given how we all acted, because they simply exceeded expectations. It doesn't take a lot for us to fall back in love with a team. But I am hopeful after some preseason games, if not early regular season success, we can tell that exact same story about the Indianapolis Colts in the fall of 2023. You've been around this team for a long time in a professional capacity for over 20 years. Let's take Andrew Luck's retirement off the table because I, I think that is its own entity and it's in its own category was last week. One of the crazier weeks that you can remember when it comes to the Colts news cycle. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you kind of gave that caveat. This is my 24th year of kind of covering the team in, in some professional capacity where I'd be around them at training camp, where I would be around them in, in, in terms of practice on a daily basis. And you have to go back to just before um, those days to kind of think of the last holdout, hey, public, big star, trade me kind of moment, and that is Marshall Falk in early 1999. And it's funny now that obviously we can kind of go back and look at that and just whatever reason randomly, flipping around in early July, like the Marshall Falk football life story is 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 on, and, I, and his agents being very candid about saying, hey, you know, there was, there was some, you know, some issues in terms of Marshall not playing at the end of the 90, 1998 season and didn't get a bonus and felt, you know what, this is no longer for me. And, and even though I see the future is Peyton Manning, how good they're going to be, it's probably just time best for me to move on. And he talked about all the places he wanted to send them, and he was like 0 for 4 in terms of warm weather, winning football team, natural grass, et cetera. But that was the last time we kind of had a running back situation, like similarly like this one where clearly you're talking about one of the best running backs in the league and for whatever reason has decided, I don't want to play here anymore. I know the main reason is financial, but I just don't know if there's going to be greener pastures or, frankly, a team that I do think at some point in time in the near future down the road is willing to pay him market value, if not above, than what the Indianapolis Colts feel about Jonathan Taylor. I'm not sure they feel that way now. But it's stunning how this has developed, uh, at least in the public sphere, over the course of the last six or seven days. And because of that skepticism over whether or not there are actually greener pastures out there for him, I remain convinced that Taylor's best option is to bite the bullet and, and just have a big 2023 season with the Colts. Do you agree, or do you think that there's a, a yeah. better card for him to play? No, I mean, I, and, and I, I want to make sure I delivered the, the proper connotation here. I would tell him to... I'm even going to phrase it differently. Just just put the helmet on and go play. And I'm not saying that because you signed a contract. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, that, that, that's his best option here. Because for a couple of reasons, uh, he doesn't have much in the way of leverage. One, what running backs elsewhere are doing around the National Football League. There simply are not that many that are getting top market dollar. And even if... Let's say he plays this year, has a great year. Let's say the Colts, for whatever reason, elect not to give him a multi-year deal, but simply franchise tag him. A, that would more than double what he's going to make this year. Again, that would put him in the top five running backs in the league. If you look at Saquon Barkley's deal, it wouldn't be that far from what he got on a one-year contract, which was $11 million, another couple of million worth of incentives. It would not be far from that. I do firmly believe that if JT plays this year, 
plays every game. You miss a game or two with injury, that's part of the nature. Let's say he plays 13, 14, 15 games, looks more like the back he was in 21 than he was in 22. I think the Colts will still give him a multi-year deal. I firmly believe that. Me too. They would, they would, try, they would try to cut off you know, going to a franchise sag and potentially creating an impasse. I still believe that is the case. So I think even for his own just benefit of dollars, I think his best solution is just to go play and prove to the Colts or, frankly, 31 other NFL teams, this is how good I am. You should pay me. And those running backs you mentioned, Rake, are, they're all done with their rookie deals. Taylor's not. And right. so that right. that gives him even less leverage. I mean, at least if you're Jacobs, you don't have to sign the tag and you can hold out. For for Taylor to hold out would be a complete disaster for a guy that's only accrued, what, $6 million so far in his first three years. And, and, and this is the other thing that I will clarify is that you said it very well in terms of his rookie deal. He actually benefits in this case, Derek, by having being a second-round draft pick. He gets to this process a year earlier than a guy like a Saquon Barkley or anybody else that was a first-round pick because when you're a second-round pick, you've got a four-year deal and not a five-year deal. So I do think that is an important line in the sand for the Colts to draw, saying, hey, listen, you get to this after four years, not five. Um, we, you know, Honor your rookie contract. I, I understand the general methodology there. Do you think the Zach Moss injury, which popped up early this week, even though it's it's not viewed to be serious, it's a broken arm, bones heel, uh, d- does that change anything in this equation? I'm not sure. If, I, I think it, I think it does slightly, even though again it's in Jonathan Taylor's best you know interest to get out there and play. If he doesn't play during the preseason, he's only going to take a snap in the preseason. I don't think anyway. Uh, but to be out there by September the 10th. Just because of the Colts not only need, in one sense, only need Jonathan Hill to be out there so they can have their best season, but you frankly have to be able to get a truer gauge as to exactly what you have in Anthony Richardson. So I, I think to help the rookie quarterback develop, I think that helps a little bit. But at the same time, and, and this is kind of what has been talked about, you know, with Jonathan Taylor the last two seasons, this team has won 13 games over two years. With having one of the best running backs in the National Football League, they've not been a playoff team in either one of the last two years. And if the Colts are potentially going to go young, you can go young without Jonathan Taylor this year. So in one sense, I think it certainly makes Anthony Richardson's job easier if he is the guy, if Jonathan Taylor will play in in week one, and if if Moss can't go. But at the same time, if you're the Colts, I think you got to have a, a view beyond this year in terms of who gets playing time and who's going to do what. Um, I think because again, I, I I I really think this is as much as you want to win football games. I think this is as much about player development this year. We're talking Colts with Greg Rakestraw, ISU Sports Network. He's the Colts post game host on these same airwaves, also the preseason TV voice of the Horseshoe Helmets, and they'll be underway here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, Non-Jonathan Taylor-wise, I know you've been out to Westfield a whole bunch. The people that I've talked to, either media-wise or or in the organization, have have kind of maintained the same line that – Anthony Richardson still has a lot uh, a ways to go, right? Uh, yeah. But when you watch him, you see it. Like, it's almost he, – he's just tantalizing enough where if you just stare, you can see a superstar-level player there that can be potentially developed and unearthed. Um, in your experience of watching him here, I know we're talking about a, a very small sample size here. Are, are you in line with that vision as well? 
Absolutely. And, and it's funny, you know, he's kind of checked all the boxes in terms of intangibles and clearly has, you know, every bit of athleticism or gift from the gods in terms of how you would build a quarterback in terms of the body, the speed, the size, the arm strength, et cetera. And normally with everything that I would have just said, you go, this guy's can't miss. And the answer is we don't know if, if, if that's the case, you know, to be honest with you at this point, just because he is so green, just because he has, you know, he has, you know, not played, you know, that much to this point. So, and, and today you would see him make spectacular plays in practice and you would see him not miss simple plays, but, but it, it was just like, it seemed like the outs of the sidelines, the accuracy needs to be dialed in. Like when he cranks up a fastball on a slant, you know, basically the receiver can't help but not catch him. He'll throw it through his chest. Um, but when he is throwing kind of those those deeper twenty yard outs, you know, putting that ball in the absolute right spot is still something he has to work on. So much like we talked about, seemingly during the month of April and all of this build up to the NFL draft, he is one of the most unique packages we've ever had in terms of talking about a prospective quarterback. Because saying all the right things, doing all the right things, simply kind of looking and acting the part, he's got it. Physically, he's got all the gifts. But because he has played such a limited amount of major college football, we simply do not know heading into the season. I think Alec Pierce gives him a lot more room for error, too, because that guy can really track the ball. I mean, he's (laughs) another guy that still needs some development and all of that. But already, I think he's shown some elite traits as far as just a a get-up-and-go-get-it guy. He is, and, and you know, and Mike Strawn's a guy that you know has all the athleticism in the world, and we're kind of waiting in year number three if he's going to pop. You kind of know what you have in Michael Pittman at this point. Let's face it, this is an offensive core that largely is going to grow together uh, for the Indianapolis Colts, and so I'm hoping to see Alec make that jump from year one to year two. You know, obviously this is a contract year for Michael Pittman being a second round pick in 2020 as well. We're still not quite sure exactly what they've got at the tight end position. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of figure things out. One thing I will, I'll, I'll tell you from watching today's action is this. Um, they brought in a, a kind of a, a little talked about veteran in terms of Rashad Perryman. He did some nice things today. His size catches your attention at 6'2 and 220. Uh, McKenzie Speed from the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. He's got speed to burn. And so we'll kind of see how things play out there as well. Last thing here, Rake, I know you're on the cusp of a very, very busy fall about to begin in fewer than three weeks with high school football, but uh, Kyle Guy, Pro-Am, I know you've got coming up on Friday. I still have access to the Google Calendar, so I can see all all the ISC events that you have here coming up, but um, give us just an idea of of where people can find you here coming up August, September, and October, with especially on High School Friday Nights. So obviously we are now 17 days away at the start of the high school football season, so when Derek went to go work his new job as Purdue Pete's personal handler up in West Lafayette, that's right. I took over the log duties on ISC. So I'm the one that's in charge of making sure we have all the spots sold and, and things of that nature. So literally, that's what I was working on before this interview started. Um, good news is, Derek, we only have 530s to sell for the opening game of the football season, <laughs> which will be Fort Wayne Snyder and Warren Central on my Indy TV and the ISC Sports Network. So believe me, that is first and foremost in my mind. Uh, other than my Colts duties between now and then, I've got two Indy 11 games. I've got the Dizzy Runs Pro-Am up at uh, Mojo Up Fieldhouse on Friday night. 
I've got the City League uh, Men's and Women's Championships that come up next Thursday. I just had USA Basketball events down in Memphis. So it's Indiana. There seemingly is rarely a break in terms of hoops. But after next Thursday, I will have my longest stretch of the year without doing any basketball, which would take me about to the end of October when uh, Marion University hoops kicks in and then IUPUI shortly after that. So even in Indiana, I do get about a a two-and-a-half-month break from all things basketball. It's wild, but never a real break from Indy sports. You are the busiest man in the city when it comes to that. At Greg Regstra on Twitter, ISCSportsNetwork.com. You can also download the ISC app. Uh, watch them on YouTube as well. And, of course, Greg, uh, the preseason TV voice of the Colts, and on these same airwaves after every Colts game this season, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Appreciate it, buddy. I'll let you get back to selling those last 530s. Exactly. Just hit me up at Greg Reich. Don't you want to buy those last five spots? Thank you, Derek. <laughs> Thanks, Rake. A uh, good buddy of mine, longtime friend in, uh, in Greg Reichstraw, joining us to talk more Colts. I-, I think the refrain, not only with Anthony Richardson – but also with the Jonathan Taylor situation has, has mainly been the same with Richardson. It's not a slam dunk that all this works out. It never is, but you can see it. You can see what enticed the Colts and what Chris Boward and Shane Steichen and the brain trust really fell in love with in the draft process because the physical gifts, not only are they there, I, I think we're underselling it to just say that Anthony Richardson is physically gifted. Anthony Richardson's physical gifts are fairly unprecedented. I mean, that's how great the gifts are. But again, there have been other guys that have looked the part. There are so many things that go into being a great NFL quarterback or just an NFL quarterback in general, much less a great one. But if he can put it together, you can certainly see it. And then in the Taylor situation, again, things can change. (laughs) We saw last week, things change. But with where we sit today, I think... Most people would agree his best play is to come back with the Colts, grin and bear it. I know it sucks. You don't want to take the PR hit and come crawling back, kind of like what Saquon Barkley did, but have a huge 2023 with the Colts and come back with that accrued fourth year. You know you could be a free agent. Yes, they could still tag you, but at least there there is more leverage to gain there after a big year and not coming off an injury and, and still under contract. So I think that's a better position for Taylor to be in than the one that he sits in right now on August 1st of 2023. 239-1070. Let's welcome on our buddy Matthew in Maine. I had a feeling that we'd hear from you today. Matthew, how are you? Of course. Hey, Derek. I'm well. So what do you think about this whole situation that your favorite team is undergoing? Because I I would think, you know, I'm not as emotionally invested in the Colts as I, I think a fan would be, but... I feel bad for you guys that, you know, this was a nice calm off season and we're just kind of rolling right along and people are excited about Richardson and they're excited about Steichen. And then last week kind of, it all blows up in everybody's face. Yep. Not surprised. Uh, I'm really glad that I'm coming out this October for my first, first Colts game. Makes me really excited. Which game are you coming to? The, the Titans on October 8th. Well, division games are always fun. I, I kind of wish that the division games were more of a thin, uh, thing here. Like, 
in the NFC East, the division games are a thing, or the AFC North, like Ravens-Steelers is a thing. And I still, even though the Colts have long lost dominance in the AFC South, I, I still don't think people here really get up for Colts. I guess Colts-Titans more than the other games, but Colts-Jags, Colts-Titans like they do for, let's say, Colts-Patriots or, you know, every four years when they play the Cowboys or, or the Steelers or somebody like that, like a national brand, Green Bay Packers, like those kind of teams. You know what I mean? Yeah. But sure. but still, to be here is pretty cool, and and I'm glad that randomly, even though you come from one of the most underrated states, if not the most underrated state in America, in Maine, which is just beautiful, um, you've made Indianapolis a, a part of you and a part of your home. So thanks for calling us, Matthew. Appreciate you joining the show. He's been a big supporter of. Um, I still do the show once a week with with Jay Query, who obviously does the morning show with with Kevin and Kevin and Query. We do our old show, Quarry and Schultz, from back in the radio days, but we do it once a week on ISC Sports Network, and you can check it out on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, just search Quarry and Schultz. Also available on podcasts. So I'll, I'll give one shameless plug today. I have three hours, and that's my 30 seconds of kind of a shameless plug when it comes to that. More on the Colts, and I'm going to come back and defend Jim Irsay. He's taken a lot of criticism nationally. I've seen some criticism locally, and even though I have – very much criticized him in the past. I don't think this Jonathan Taylor situation is worth criticizing him for. I don't think that he's mainly at fault for where we sit today. And I'll tell you why when we come back. It's the ride with JMV, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. It's party time! P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Thanks to Greg Regstar for joining us, rolling right along here on this Tuesday afternoon, about halfway through the ride with JMV, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. John out today. I'm Derek Schultz filling in. Appreciate you hanging with us, whether it be over the old school radio airwaves. I guess we could still call that old school. Or in the YouTube lounge. I know a lot of you like to hang out in there. I jumped in there real quick just to thank everybody for... uh, coming on and supporting the show today appreciate you guys listening and making us a part of your afternoon uh, Jim Irsay is uh, a, a bit of a lightning rod right uh, when it comes to anything that's happening with the Colts what national people will see they'll, they'll immediately make it about Irsay because and, and this is hard for me to say because we're here in Indianapolis so sometimes you know your brain is clouded by what's happening locally but but I do think that if you went outside of Indiana and you went to uh, you know Boston or uh, Cincinnati or Vegas any NFL market and you stopped a hundred people on the street to ask them to name an NFL owner that wasn't Jerry Jones. I think Ursay's name probably would be the next one that people mentioned. Or at least be somewhere in like the top three. I, I firmly believe that. And <laughs> you can argue whether or not that's a good thing, that, that you want the team owner to kind of be out there. Now, especially now that Daniel Snyder's out of the picture, right, in, in Washington. So you can go back and forth whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the Colts. I, I do think it's good to have a prominent owner. I think the problem is is that now Jim Irsay is taking it upon himself to be like one of the spokespersons 
for the NFL owners. And it really clouded his judgment last week when he sent the tweet about the NFL running back situation. I, I just don't think that statement was worth sharing publicly while you've got your own player in Jonathan Taylor seeking a new deal. Because even if that wasn't directed at Taylor, and I don't believe that it was, Ursay had to know and have the wherewithal to understand that people were going to make that about Taylor. So as I'm beginning my defense of the Colts team owner, I want to get this caveat out of the way. I do think that Jim Ursay maybe is a little bit too honest and certainly talks too much and ultimately often ends up sticking his foot in his mouth. But I would rather have the open and honest owner who's telling you what he thinks over the one that is just completely shut down. It makes for a more, well, certainly makes for more entertainment for sports radio and all of that. But also it feels like you kind of know where you stand and where he stands. And I always appreciate that about anybody in all walks of life to to not be, I don't want to say not be fake, but but be forthright, uh, forthcoming. And Ursay probably, if, if anything, is a little too forthcoming. And that's why maybe he got a little bit in trouble last week for the, for the two things that he said. I, I think the, NF, the NFL running back situation tweet from Thursday and the comments Saturday night, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor's out of the league, no one's going to miss us, blah, 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 blah. Those weren't productive to the conversation. They just weren't. They weren't helpful. In fact, Chris Ballard probably saw those comments and thought, oh, God. What are we doing? Shh, quiet. Please log off. Because he knows that how they were going to be viewed and how national people were going to take it and run with it. But I saw a lot of national headlines this week, and and I've seen a lot of the blame be placed on this Jonathan Taylor situation on Jim Irsay. And and I I don't think that – I think that's just really an intentional misrepresentation of the situation. You know, pro football talk in Florida, of course, he's had an axe to grind with Jim Ursay for years. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Jim Ursay uh, kicked his cat or uh, gave him a warm beer at a concert. Like, I, I don't know what happened between Florida and Ursay. I don't. I, I think he resents the fact that Ursay was born on third and thinks he hit a triple. You know, there's some NFL owners kind of built their own fortune, and clearly Jim Ursay did not, right? He was born into it. But he has no control over that. So getting mad about it, I, I just I don't even know, really understand why you would get mad about something like that. Ursay has a good heart, even if you know he's well-meaning, even if sometimes his actions um, aren't great or his words don't align with that. And the guy desperately wants to win, which is what any sports fan wants from their team's owner. You want an owner that desperately wants to win more than anything else. And contrary to popular belief, that's not always the case. Not all sports team owners want to win more than anything else. You see that in baseball especially, but we're not going to go down that road. But I listened to, I was listening to Jake and Kevin in the morning. I forget which day this was. I, I think it was yesterday. It would have had to been because they were re-racking the, the, the weekend conversation and um, Greeny is the midday show, right, with Mike Greenberg, but he's barely over there. And... I, th- I think it was Chris Canty and and Carlin who used to do WFAN. So they're both out in New York. Canty is a former Giant. And they're talking about the Taylor situation, and they're just skewering Jim Irsay. 
and wow, this is a circus and blah. You know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And I'm like, guys, like this situation started, maybe not started, but certainly was escalated by Jonathan Taylor's agent and Jonathan Taylor's actions. So this is really a, a combination of a couple of things, none of which are Jim Ursay's tweets or comments. It's a combination of the NFL running back market conversation going public, and we all know where that is, and hurt feelings over that from NFL running backs, which I get. I get being frustrated. If I'm Jacobs, if I'm Barkley, if I'm Dalvin Cook, if I'm Taylor, I totally understand being frustrated with the way things are. But that's the way things are, unfortunately, for them right now. It's a combination of that and a combination, I think, of feeling slighted because A, there wasn't a contract offer, at least not yet. We know that, right, between the Colts and Taylor. But B, feeling disrespected because of the Colts' standard operating procedure previously when it comes to players entering the final years on their rookie deal. They extended Quentin Nelson. They extended Shaq Leonard. I am 95% sure they extended Braden Smith. I I mean, obviously they extended Braden Smith, but when they did it, I'm pretty sure that that was before his rookie deal had expired. They did it with Naheem Hines, who was a backup, who's your second running back, so same position, even though he was a little bit of a, a Swiss Army knife. I feel for Hines with the jet ski accident, my God. Talk about bad luck. But they did all of this with their other players. And, and if you're Taylor, it's just boiling over, right? It's 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 all of these things adding up. The running back market is... Ugh. Everyone says that you, because you're a running back, you suck and teams don't need you. Which the first part isn't really true. The second part is a little bit more true, but it's harsh, right? But it's hard to take this personally. <laughs> How do you not? If you're an NFL running back, you see, you see the conversation about running backs. And how do you just brush that off? Of course it hurts your ego. It would hurt me if everyone was like, oh, radio hosts, these guys suck. They have no talent at all. They're stupid. Yeah, that, I don't want people to call me stupid or worthless. And that's how running backs feel. And you're looking around the room and seeing all of the guys around you get rewarded. So the Colts want to say, hey, we're just going to kind of wait and see here, which is a defensible approach for the Colts, mind you. But you've got to view this in the eyes of Taylor. He sees that and he says, wait and see? What are you talking about here? You didn't wait and see with this guy and that guy and that guy and that guy. Now you want to wait and see with me? So I can fully understand being insulted by that. But again, his mouthy agent getting on Twitter and and hashing it out or trying to hash it out with Jim Irsay, what is that helping? It's certainly not helping Taylor in the eyes of fans, fairly or unfairly. And that's one of the few cards that I think Taylor had in the deck that would help him. Let's say that the last seven to 10 days never happened. Let's say that Taylor is at camp right now and he's going through drills with the team and the contract stuff is just still kind of a sidebar. 
I think if none of this stuff had happened, Taylor would be in a more advantageous position than he is right now because he would still have the fans on his side. He would still be able to play the I'm a victim of the running back market circumstances. Poor me. He could still play that card. And the fans would be saying, hey, why aren't you rewarding this guy? He's a great player. Let's, which was kind of the refrain before all of this happened, right? I think most Colts fans felt like Jonathan Taylor should be extended. They wanted to see him continue in Indianapolis, and they wanted to see him rewarded for these first three years. You know, every conversation that we had in the last three, four months about the impending contract for for Jonathan Taylor were were, were almost under the approach that it was like a fait accompli. Uh, I knew that the numbers were going to be a a little bit up for debate, right? I, I knew that Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay and the the Colts side of things and Taylor and his camp wouldn't necessarily see eye to eye because, of course, no running backs in their camps and teams are seeing eye to eye right now. The teams have a standpoint, okay, this is what you're worth, and running backs have a standpoint, this is what I'm worth, and it's not aligning because the market is a lot less than how guys view themselves. Or they see the top end of the market like Christian McCaffrey and they say, I want that. So I knew that that was going to be up for debate, but the thought of Jonathan Taylor not being a cold or being let to walk out the door and not getting an extension, like I I didn't really think that that was a likely possibility. It's a possibility because anything's possible. It's sports. I never write anything off anymore. We had a dude in this town retire during a preseason game, so you never write things off. Anything is possible, as Kevin Garnett used to say, right? But I didn't think that this was likely with where we sat today. So Taylor, instead of doing that, and full disclosure, he would have had to have eaten a little bit of a bleep sandwich to do that, to just kind of grin and bear it and say, okay, they're not offering me anything. I'm still just going to go out there and do my thing and proceed as normal. That's still him swallowing his pride and eating a bit of a bleep sandwich. And I know what you're saying to yourself. Well, Schultz, what are you talking about? A bleep sandwich. The dude's going to make $4 million. Look, you have to approach this as his mindset. He's not you. He's not me. You know, $4 million for a guy of that caliber is not market value, right? We could sit here and debate whether or not he's he's due Christian McCaffrey money, but I, I think we know that he's certainly worth more than $4 million. So that's kind of his frustration there is he didn't want to eat the bleep sandwich, but I still don't think that this was the right way for him to go. And, and I don't know, maybe he's learning that. I, I can't speak to the operation of his brain right now, but maybe with where he sits today, now that the smoke is clearing from the flames of the, the dumpster fire that was last week, maybe he is seeing that, hey, you know what, this this letting my agent get into it with the team owner on social media or or playing the cards that I played. Maybe that wasn't the right idea. Maybe he's seeing it because I see it and probably you see it as well because he just doesn't have leverage. The Colts hold all the cards. He's under contract. They don't have to extend him. 
They don't have to trade him. If he holds out, he costs himself gobs of money. And I think most importantly, more so even than the money and the millions of dollars that he would lose by holding out, it would cost him accruing that fourth year. So then he'd be a restricted free agent instead of an unrestricted one. The Colts could just tender him and he'd be making even less than the franchise tag if he just played out the contract and then got tagged in 24. So if you're looking at a roadmap right now of of Jonathan Taylor's decisions, like let's say we're we're on the circle here and the spokes are you know Meridian and what he can choose of the side roads over you know Washington, Illinois, he has all these roads that he can go on, right? And all these paths that he can choose. And much like downtown Indianapolis or just central Indiana in general, there are construction and roadblocks basically on every single one of the roads. Like there's a giant freaking pothole on every single one of the roads here for Jonathan Taylor. Anything that he chooses, he loses a bit. And that was even the case before seven to 10 days ago, mind you. I mean, it, this is just a situation for all these NFL running backs where it's, it's very difficult for them to win. In fact, it's, it's pretty much impossible for them to win. You know, Saquon Barkley getting $11 million, I think, in some ways was a win for him just because it, uh, it allowed him to save face. And that's about the best that you can hope for right now if you're an NFL running back, just saving face. But any one of these roads here, even if, even if the, the road is, I get traded. So let's say Jonathan Taylor goes to the Bears or the Chiefs or, I don't know, the Patriots, whoever else, God forbid. He still is going to want the deal that the Colts aren't willing to give him and probably no one else in the NFL with where we sit today are willing to give him. So you potentially get traded somewhere and you're just kind of recycling the same problem. And that's playing out your deal and then getting tagged and then getting dumped. Which is the problem that's befallen so many of these NFL running backs. So I feel for Jonathan Taylor because behind every door, behind every curtain, whichever road he chooses, whatever analogy you want to choose, it just feels like a a losing situation. Even if he does what I think he should do and what a lot of us think he should do, which is just bite the bullet and have a really big 2023 and maybe pretend none of this happened and and get back to being an all-pro this year and go back to the negotiating table, you're still, A, taking a a hit PR-wise, right? Because you're kind of tucking tail and and grinning and bearing it, biting the bullet. B, you're losing another year and putting more miles on the tires. And we all know how short the running back window is. And see, even if he does that, even if he plays and thrives next year, even if he's an all-pro again, the market not only might be the same for running backs next year, it might be worse. You know, somebody asked me the other day, why do you think, why is Taylor doing this? This doesn't make sense to me. And the only way that I could make sense of it, and again, I'm not going to, I can't speak for him. I can only guess because I, I don't know. You know, I'm not in the, I don't have access to his cell phone. I don't know what he and his agent talk about. But my best guess for why this last seven to 10 days have played out as they are is because I think Taylor and his camp, they feel a sense of urgency that the market is only going to get worse. 
So if I don't do this now, if I don't get my contract now, I'm not going to get what I want. Even if I come back and have a huge, healthy, productive year in 2023, I might still not get what I want. In fact, I might get less than what I would be settling for this year on a new deal. So I need the new deal now. I can't wait any longer. But even if that's your approach, that doesn't mean that his actions the last couple of days has been the right one because he just doesn't have a lot of cards to play. Two three nine ten seventy. Let's go to the phone lines with Tony. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the show. Hi there. So far, eleven, man. Good job. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, first off, I wanted to say that obviously guys like McCaffrey and Kamara get more money because they catch more. He should realize Barkley got eleven million, and he's about even with Barkley, in my opinion. We're about to have a rookie quarterback for four years. We have some money. He should just be asking now for like, oh, let me get 11 or 12 million for three years and be done with it. Because like you said, it's only going to get worse. And then here's, I want to ask your take on this because I couldn't call in this morning when they were talking about it. They were talking about if uh, Zach Moss breaking his arm is leverage for Taylor, leverage for the Colts. And here's why for me, it's leverage for the Colts. With the best two running backs out, if these other guys, these third and fourth string guys that, you know, not scrubs, but these backups do good, it even shines a bigger light on how he is not essential to be paid all that money to have at least somewhat effectiveness at the running back position. And I'll jump off and hear what you say, man. Yeah, no, a good point there, Tony. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, I, I think, you know, if you're asking me the Zach Moss, uh, how that factors in here, I, I don't think it plays much of a factor really at all. But I, I hadn't thought about your line of thinking there about it creating more leverage. I, I think – what I would say to that is that guy off the street running back, it, it's a fungible position. So you can very easily get 80% of what Jonathan Taylor gives you or 80% of what Saquon Barkley gives you. It is very difficult to get 80% of what Jamar Chase gives you. It's very difficult to get 80% of what Nick Bosa gives you. There, there are certain positions like pass rusher, edge, wide receiver, quarterback that are very, very hard to replicate with quote-unquote guy off the street. But NFL running back is not one of them. And that's not to say that Moss is the caliber of player of Taylor. He's not. But you can easily get somebody to produce. And, And that kind of brings us full circle on why we sit here today and why all the NFL teams are treating running backs like that. The secret's out, guys. Everyone knows that you don't have to invest in this position because if you take the last 15 years of Super Bowl winners, it's a who's who of who at running back. There are a bunch of nobodies on that list for the most part. 239-1070, we'll re-rack the big headlines of the day. Five o'clock hour, more on the Colts, on Ursay, on Taylor, and we want to hear from you as well on the phone lines. It's Derek Schultz filling in for JMV. It's The Ride, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Son, you got a panty on your head. You drive fast, kid. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Thanks to James Adams. The usual producer for doing a great job, as he always does. 
I'm not the usual host of this show, though. JMV off for the day. I believe John returns tomorrow. My name is Derek Schultz. Appreciate you joining us here. This late breaking, we're not really a baseball town here for the most part. This is mostly, I've always felt like this is like a, a basketball, football, and then like a sprinkle a little bit of racing in kind of town, even though we do touch on baseball. I know John touches on the Reds sometimes. Um, on the show or maybe like if the Cubs are relevant they they come into the conversation but uh, just late breaking baseball news with the trade deadline approaching uh, Justin Verlander off to the Astros Max Scherzer off to Texas so this kind of completes the Mets um, failure of a season and and kind of selling off and what they probably should do um, honestly they're not really going anywhere and People over here probably aren't going to connect with this, but if you spent any time in New York at all, you know that this is the whole... Like, the Aaron Rodgers situation with the Jets, why I think it's going to fail is because it always fails for the Jets and Mets. Always. This is just what they do. They go out, they make big splashes, they make big signings, they win the back page, they say, hey, look at us! Because they're kind of the the stepbrothers in town to the Giants and Yankees, and then they fail, and then they, they, they do it over and over and over and over again. And I feel for Mets fans out there, of, of the most miserable teams to root for, like the combination of teams to root for, I, I think if you're a Mets and Jets fan, that's about the worst that there is. Because that's all they do. Make the big headlines, make the big splash, fail. So that's all done now, I guess, for them. And we'll uh, I'll keep you abreast of what's going on. I was expecting the Reds maybe to add some pitching and, and do something else. I know they added the guy from the A's. Uh, I believe the Cubs added a third baseman as well on here. I just don't follow it as much as I used to either. Like I'm, I've become like more of a casual baseball fan since being in Indiana because it's not water cooler conversation anymore. Like where I grew up, you were always talking about the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox and and uh, and everything that was happening. And and now it's kind of like you know you have to you see somebody in a Reds hat and you're like, oh hey, are you a Reds fan? De La Cruz, all right, sweet. And then maybe you'll have the conversation, but it's not like frontline conversation like I was watching the home run derby a couple of weeks ago and there was there was actually one or two guys that I was like I don't think I know who that is and it made me really depressed that I'm that out of the loop when it comes to baseball two three nine ten seventy not out of loop when it comes to the Colts conversation I don't think anybody is right now with how things are proceeding with Jonathan Taylor and with Jim Irsay and, and everything that's cooking over there let's welcome on Caleb he wanted to talk Colts he's on line one hi Caleb Thanks for letting me on the program today. You're doing a great job filling in for JMV. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for saying that. No, of course, man. Of, of course. Um, I guess I wanted to talk about Colts, but not necessarily in a breakdown of position battles or anything like that. I, I kind of have an open an open air request for all Colts fans this upcoming season. And this includes with all of the mayhem and all of the drama happening with Jonathan Taylor. Just let's all take a collective breath. Let's understand that the era of 13 wins when you roll out of bed is just not here anymore. And to have some patience and understanding with these young guys and make it where these franchises are about their players rather than what they kind of have been historically where it's about the owner. And I think that would be the best to grow the development in this town. Yeah. You know, I I think the problem, Caleb, look, I think most Colts fans are patient and I think most Colts fans subscribe to that. So I I don't think they need to be told that. I think the problem is is that we keep telling Colts fans, well, just be patient. Just be patient. Here it comes. Just be patient. And then there's never any reward for that. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to always be patient over and over and over again. 
oh, well, you know, we're, we're close, so let's just let's trade for Carson Wentz. We're, we're close. Just be patient. Oh, well, be, be, be patient. It's all going to come back here. We got Matt Ryan. All right, be, be patient. Or even with luck, it was, you know, be patient. It's coming. He's going to be healthy. He's going to be a superstar, and just be patient. While the rest of the team kind of crumbled around him, and the health never really got the same. So it's been like 10 years of being patient. And, and, I, and I can understand people in Indianapolis being frustrated with being patient or being told to be patient. You know, it's kind of like what Pacers fans have gone through. Be patient. You know, you just keep talking about the limitations and, and the glass ceilings. And, man, I, I, when are you going to break it? I'm ready to shadow the glass ceiling. Let's go. Let's get this thing back on track. I'm tired of spinning wheels. So I do think that Colts fans are excited. I think they're optimistic, a large majority of them. But I do tire of having to tell people. I, I, I'm done telling fans here to be patient because that's what the team keeps wanting. I, you don't have to wait any longer to win the NFL's most craptacular division. You shouldn't have to wait 10 years to win that. You shouldn't have to wait 10 years to do something meaningful. And that's what Colts fans have had to endure. And they've been patient pretty much the entire process, honestly. Two three nine ten seventy five o'clock hour. We rack the conversation with Jim Aiello and more of your phone calls as well. It's the ride with JMV ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali dot com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The ride with JMV. Two more minutes. They could be miles off course. That's impossible. They're on instruments. This is going to be a real sweat. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Sorry, I know it's a little bit weird to go from like Gangstar and De La Soul to Hall and Oates, but we've got Yacht Rock review tickets to give away. Caller number three, 239-1070. Do we have a date for that, James? I forgot to ask you what date that was. Uh, that is on August the 12th. Cool. August the 12th. So a week from Friday. Is that right? Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Week from Saturday. Yacht Rock review tickets. If you're caller number three, you are going 239-1070. The reason that I chose that song, this is a true story. We got one of those um, Amazon uh, Echo sort of device. I, th- I think it's called a dot. It's the little one. It doesn't have the video on it. I think that's the Echo Show. And my son, who is about to be a first grader, he's six years old, is really into like the voice activation stuff. I, I think that's not exclusive to him, probably. I think a lot of kids are probably into that. And so, like, you know, Alexa, hey, you know, what's the weather today? Hey, Alexa, what was the Yankee score last night? Whatever. Um, he also is starting to get into music. And he spends a decent amount of time with my parents who live not too far away in Carmel. They're both retired. And he likes all of the music that my folks listen to. So they listen to like Foreigner and Bee Gees and Billy Joel and and also a little bit of Hall and Oates. So we started, now that we have this Amazon Dot, and my kid's always been a great sleeper, but we started letting him, because he asked, hey, Daddy, can and can we listen to music when I'm going to bed? And I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy, I guess so, right? Who cares? If it helps? I have a sound machine in my room, so yeah, if, if it helps you go to sleep, great. Play, play the music, rock out, I don't care. So um, we started letting him listen to music, like this week, in his room. This is a new development, the last couple of days. And I went in there last night at 10 p.m., 
and he was sound asleep. So this was like two hours after we put him down. And Hall and Oates, You Make My Dreams, <laughs> was playing pretty loudly, actually, on his Echo Dot. And my uh, our dog, Oliver, was curled up with him. And my kid was dead asleep. And it's it's really funny. I actually put it on an Instagram story from earlier today. So I was like, I told James, I was like, hey, we got to choose that one. Because that's, uh, that's a good song to play when I think of Yacht Rock. We've been talking a lot today of the, uh, the the cult situation with Jonathan Taylor, obviously, which has dominated the headlines, even though it's it's now Tuesday and we're a couple of days removed from the weekend fireworks. Certainly on Saturday night in Westfield, there were a lot of those. But also, um, Anthony Richardson, I, I, I guess this is notable. He was a full go at practice today. So he had the nasal surgery, the, the septum issue. And even though it was publicly stated as a non-issue, I think Colts fans here just have a little bit of PTSD when it comes to anything injury-wise involving the the Colts or specifically the quarterback. So I didn't lose any sleep over it, but I, when I saw the Anthony Richardson septum thing, I was like, okay, well, at least I'll keep an eye on it because you always have to keep an eye on it. And because this is a guy that can't afford to miss any reps. He needs as many reps as he can get and as much experience as he can get. As a rookie player, as a new player, and a guy that only has really a handful of starts, pound for pound, in his collegiate career as a quarterback. So take a little bit, I guess, of a sigh of relief that Richardson was out there today and basically proceeded as if it's a a normal practice. Because certainly in this town, we've been used to things where, where it's kind of like Kevin Bacon in Animal House. All is well! <laughs> and then you come to find out all is not well. In fact, it's the opposite of well. It's it's way, way, way worse than well. But maybe we've avoided disaster with, with Anthony Richardson and his septum. Let's get back to the phone lines because a, a lot of you, are, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. I, I think most Colts fans have... I don't even know if you say rallied around the team because I hate to turn it into like a, a picking sides sort of thing. I, I still like Jonathan Taylor. He's a young player. I would love to see him remain here. I, I, I think he has misplayed his hand. If you ask me honestly, my assessment of the situation, but I really do hope that this relationship is not too far gone. I'm still, maybe this is me being optimistic or maybe this is even me being pie in the sky with everything that's happened over the last seven to 10 days. I still think Jonathan Taylor being a Colt, not only in 2023, but beyond that, is on the table. I do. But a lot of these things are going to have to get cleaned up, and some hurt feelings are going to have to be patched up in order for that to be possible. Let's see what Chris has to say about it. 239-1070. He's on line one. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hi. How you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for calling. Uh, I had a question. I agree with you. I, I think he misplayed his hand completely wrong. Um, the question I had is, uh, do you think that he should have pivoted? Like his team should have pivoted once they – either they didn't hear back from Jim Irsay not offering that contract, they should have focused more on the franchise tag and maybe the guaranteed money in that. And then, two is like, is, uh, do you think Jim Irsay is playing the long game? Is he, is he thinking that, you know, if Jonathan Taylor does well, but this team has a rookie quarterback. You know, we, we saw that with Manning, they went 3-13, and 13, and we get a top, you know, another top – five pick or whatever he's looking at that kid at Ohio State and he's like he's licking his chops and he's like you know your dad played here and I want you to come yeah. here too and is that is that some is he trying to play you know is he is he looking at the I know they want to always get us hyped up and say we got this new quarterback here are they looking at 
you know, he's, he's, he's like, I'm going to tell you these guys, you know, I'm going to tell Anthony Richardson to you. And, you know, really and honestly, we're not going to be that good. So if if Jonathan Taylor holds out and we we stink, it's actually a good thing. Is that what he's looking at? Is he playing chess instead of checkers? You know? Let me ask you on, on your first thing to clarify, Chris. By the franchise tag or pivoting, do you mean Taylor taking less money with what he was asking for? Is that what you're saying? Well, just playing – basically just playing out the deal – you know, yeah. Okay. And yeah. Proving his worth and then saying, sure. Hey, yeah. Okay. That, the market that's... is ten million. So, and then I'm a gotcha. You know, maybe I can combine that, get a two year deal, get guaranteed money in the front, and then go from there. No, that's a great point. And and yes, my answer to that is yeah. I think that that was the the pivot. I guess for him to make is and and I guess he could still make that is to play out this year, have as great of a season as possible, and then go back to the negotiating table mostly I think that's his best option because it's his only option. It's the best option of a lot of bad options. Holding out, I don't think, is an option for him at all. I just see you lose too much money. You're not going to get the accrued fourth year. It, it, it takes everything off the table for you. It takes all of your negotiating power out. So I, I think the best option for him is to come back. As far as checkers and not chess, no, I, the reason that I don't think that the Colts would be happy about that or or play themselves – or present it in a way that they, they want to force Jonathan Taylor to be unhappy is A, because I don't think uh, having a star player unhappy is ever a good thing. But B, I, I think that they view Taylor as a valuable crutch for their rookie quarterback, right? Wouldn't you view it that way? Wouldn't you want Jonathan Taylor out there in your offense to lean on him a little bit while you're bringing your quarterback along? I would. So... The second part of, of Chris's question there about, you know, checkers of chess or Ursay playing long game, I, I don't think they're trying to, like, tank the season for the draft pick or, or anything like that. I, I think what they're looking forward to is developing Richardson as much as possible and building towards something. They know that uh, deep down, they're not going to say this publicly, no team is. They know that 2023, they're not going to contend for a title, right? So develop, build, Get this thing moving back in the right direction. The arrow was pointing directly back last year and directly down. Really, it's been pointing down since 2020. How do we get the arrow pointed back up again and build towards something? And Jonathan Taylor being a part of that in the final year of his rookie deal. That's that's what I believe was the Colts' standpoint going into this thing and their mentality going into it. 239-1070. Let's go to Jeff next. And Jeff was also our winner with uh, Colts tickets. Congrats. Hey, thank you very much. Or sorry, uh, yeah. Yacht, Yacht Rock Review tickets. Sorry about that. You didn't win Colts tickets. Maybe coming this fall, you can win some Colts tickets, Jeff, on this show. <laughs> That'd be great. That's the first time I've ever won anything on the radio. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Awesome. And uh, really awesome. So, hey, I, I, I completely agree with what you guys just said. Kind of took a little of my steam. I just feel like it's – I think most of this is due to his, his agent is, is what I feel like is, mm-hmm. the, is the problem, uh, the big the – big, uh, problem in the room on this whole thing i think his agent's so really eager and uh really what does he have to lose by making a mistake i mean yeah i i think think the agent uh and i don't know anything about his background like everybody else i you know the last six days i never even heard of this guy and apparently he had uh repped mma fighters and stuff and I, i think he wanted to get a little chest puffy here with i'm gonna go to bat for my guy which agents are supposed to do but he he certainly threw some gasoline on the fire i i can't really think of a scenario jeff where it's ever a good idea to get in a public spat with a team owner when you you want something and you're fighting for leverage you know what i mean 
Yeah, and, and he and he really has nothing to fight with. I mean, he's no. under contract. They can yeah. just hold him like they are right now. And so that's why it doesn't make any sense to me why he's just making bad decisions and, and, and Taylor's letting him do it. And apparently, I don't know, maybe maybe he was uh, not completely on board with all this, but uh, certainly certainly doesn't look good. So yeah. I, I, I think I agree with you. I think he's going to end up coming back. And I, I think he just needs to do what everybody else does in this situation and He's not. He's not proven. He's not shown that he's recovered from his ankle problem, and he's, you know, he's not played for a while. So I think he needs to show what he's worth again. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's desperate. I mean, you know, you're asking why the agent and why Taylor are acting this way. They're desperate. They know they don't hold any cards, and they don't have any leverage. They're desperate. So what can I do? Well, I, I, I guess I can pick a fight with the owner and turn the public opinion on my side. But I, I think if anything, it turned the public opinion against him. And that's not a good thing. Cause that was one of the few things that I think Taylor still had in his corner. He had the fans saying, Hey, you got to reward this guy. Now people are like, yeah, I'm not so sure. Cause I don't like this agent. Maybe you still like Taylor, but you don't like the agent. Two, three, nine, 10, 70. Uh, I believe it's Michael next on line three. Hi, Michael. How are you? How you doing? I'm great. Uh, Derek, no time, no here. Yes, so um, the Michael. Thank you for calling, man. It's good to hear from you. You too, you too. <laughs> this whole situation with, you know, Taylor and, of course, Jim Irsay, it's one of the things, I, I understand this is a business, but to the point where you put it out there in social media, it seemed to be a little bit more childless. And I think we've been through this, you know, drama every year with the Colts. Where unlike with the Pacers, they seem to keep things on the down low. And it gets so different uh, ways of, you know, putting the message out, so to speak. <laughs> so I don't know how you you look at this or, you know, I, I get things just dumped. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of childish, right, to have the mud flinging going on on social media between, you know, the team owner. I mean, not that Ursay was necessarily flinging back, but clearly there was a little bit of a, a back and forth there between him and the agent and, and, you know, the drama of the whole situation and, you know, Taylor with his hood up just kind of sulking in the corner. Like, I, I get why fans, and, and thanks for the call, Michael. It's great to hear from you. Hope you and the family are well. Um I get that fans get frustrated with that, but that's, you know, Taylor's not the first guy to do that, and that agent's not the first agent to do that, and they won't be the last. That's kind of what happens a lot of times in these contract disputes. They, they uh, a lot of times get messy and get muddy and get, and get down in the dirt and wrestle around. <laughs> and you're watching from afar, and you're like, but you can't turn away. You know, one of those things. And I think that's what's going on right now between the, the Colts and Taylor. But again, with Ursay, and there were some things that he said whether or not you agree with them is is not relevant, but um, because I, I I think they're defensible comments, but they're not relevant to the situation, and that's why I think they weren't productive, they weren't helpful to where the Colts stand. Ursay saying anything about the running back ar- argument or the market was not productive or helpful. Ursay making those weird comments on Saturday night about dying and then the NFL moving on, either him or Taylor, um, not helpful, not productive. And so they were better left unsaid. But I don't think that he is the crux of this issue. I, I don't think that he is the main instigator. The instigator is the agent and, and Taylor's actions. They didn't have the contract that they wanted. They felt insulted. So they just started 
pivoting and playing cards that they that, that aren't winning cards, trying to play a, play out a losing hand. And there's nothing on the river. There's no card to chase for Jonathan Taylor here. There's just not. Because the Colts have the winning hand. The way the contract is, he's under contract. He can't hold out. I mean, I, I guess technically he can hold out, but it would be very detrimental to his situation because A, he wouldn't get paid, and B, he wouldn't accrue the fourth year. So he'd be an RFA instead of a UFA. And the Colts can tender him, and then he's going to make even less than he would on the tag. So there aren't a lot of outs here outside of Taylor coming back, having a big season, and going back to the table, whether that's with the Colts or somebody else. And he might still get tagged. He might. But that's better than getting tendered. Or that's better than getting traded somewhere and restarting this fight with your new team all over again. 239-1070. AJ, next up. Hi, AJ. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Uh, is it me or is it the older Jim gets the more he sounds like his dad? Um, you know, if you don't need to be in a face of this franchise, Anthony Richardson needs to be the face of this franchise. So, man, just zip it and let Ballard do what he does. And fly around on your 747 somewhere. Yeah, I think it would be more productive if Jim Irsay didn't give impromptu press conferences in front of his private jet or um, tweet things about the NFL running back market when he has a disgruntled running back who's looking for a new deal. I agree with you there. I still think I'll defend Irsay in saying that he wants to win more than anything and he has a good heart. Those are two things that Jim Irsay has going for him that I think a lot of major sport team owners don't necessarily have maybe they have one or the other but they don't have both and and I, I still think Ursay overall AJ is a good owner I do even for all the theatrics and hijinks or whatever you want to call it I think he's a good owner uh, I think he lets his ego get involved sometimes and that's what we saw last year you know Jim Ursay thought that well I'm the smartest guy in the room so I've been around football for 40-whatever years. I'm going to bring in Jeff Saturday and just watch. He's going to prove everybody wrong. And you saw that, obviously, that whole situation was a complete disaster. And everyone that made fun of it and, and danced on the Colts' grave when that decision happened ended up being right outside of a fluky afternoon against a bad Raiders team. Outside of that, it was... Sink, explode. And I hope that humbled him a little bit. But one thing that I've kind of learned about billionaires is that um, they don't often get humbled. Certainly the guy running Twitter is uh, in need for a humbling, but I don't think that's going to happen either. Let's get to Turnbuckle Bill to round out the phone calls. 239-1070. Hey, Bill, great to hear from you, my man. Derek, how you been, man? I'm great. It's a pleasure to listen to you. Now, do you want to talk Colts or are you going to like bring up IU football or something off the wall here? You, I'm going to rename you Kreskin because you hit the nail right on the head. I wanted to start off by talking about uh, about the Colts. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. Okay, uh, so you got. I thought you were going to say you're going to talk Hoosiers because I know you like to talk Hoosiers always. But yes, please start with the Colts. That's great. Well, with uh, with with Jim Irsay, who who I agree, I think is a, is a good person, good heart, and he gets he does so many good things like this rock and roll me- uh, memorabilia thing was a huge success. But he needs to have better people around him. He needs to have somebody around him that is going to say, hey, who are you texting? Or, hey, what are you doing? And maybe that person doesn't exist. Maybe that person does exist and just is, is kind of afraid to do it. But in, in, if you look at the videotape of, of when he was receiving some of those messages, 
And, you know, it, it was amateur. It's amateur hour with his agent. I mean, this is, I mean, that, that's one of the, Ursay's probably insulted that he even has to deal with him. And where's Ballard at? I thought Ballard was supposed to be doing all this stuff. But somebody has to, I mean, I love Ursay. You know, he, he has had a lot of problems. He's, he has a lot of demons, and he's, and he's battled them successfully. But there's got to be somebody that's got to say, hey, man, your, your image, you need, to, you need to ride off into the sunset. Unless this is part of his plan to become the leader of all the owners by, yeah. by stepping in and, and, and saying, uh, we're going to put our foot down. We're not going to pay any more for running backs. But uh, I don't know if, that, if that's the case or not, but it, but it wouldn't surprise me. But, you know, if the, if the season does start to go bad and, you know, you're kind of disgruntled and you, you look for something to hope in, then just get on 37 and go south. Because 60 miles south, baby. <laughs> It's all going to be happening yeah. this year. The first year, first year of practice, you knew it was coming. Okay, I, I, yep. of, I was prepared for it. <laughs> first year of practice was today, Tom Allen. Uh, and a shout out to some guy named Jay Wilkerson who has contributed more money now to the strength and conditioning program with equipment and specialists, and and it seems like like their staff to, so that they can uh, do their jobs well and, and 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 produce some some really fine athletes. I'm looking forward to seeing this one kid from Noblesville, the quarterback. And then the converted uh, uh, quarterback that was Mr. Football, that uh, McCauley from Lawrence North. And IU also got a wide receiver from Lawrence North. And a lot of players around uh, around the county that uh, had good, distinguishable high school yeah. careers. So I'm just, I'm just hoping for the best. It's the same old story with IU. I mean, we start off with Ohio State. Eh, you know what? I'm not going to put any money on that game. But then the next three, you no, got to win. Indiana State, Indiana, Indiana State, Akron. And and you got to get ready for the Big Ten. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I'll say it for you, Bill. I mean, Ohio State is an, an auto loss for IU, um, as is Michigan most years um, when they have them as well, um, and and they do because of the divisions the way that they are. But yeah, I'm glad that you're hopeful about IU football. Um, we'll see. I I'm not a big believer in Tom Allen. I, I I don't know how to explain 19 and 20 and how that went. I I I really don't. Um, but I'm I'm not confident that that comes back with him at the helm. I'm just I I think there's a little bit of uh, in over his head sort of a thing. You know, we keep hearing about where IU football was, and I, I want to know where they're going. And it's a lot like what happened with Tom Crean in that era. It's like, well, they, he brought him back from here, and it's like, yeah, okay, great. That was a long time ago, though. Now, like, where are they heading? Where are they going? Because the future just kind of looks bleak here. But to get back to the Colts' comments about Ursay, yeah, there's an ego involved. Of course, he's he's a billionaire. I'd be egotistical if I had a PJ and I could fly around anywhere that I wanted to and a, you know, Bob Dylan's guitar, the first one that he ever strummed in a bathtub when he was nine years old. Of course I'd have an ego. All these dudes do. And it's, it's hard to hold those people accountable because they think that they're the smartest guy. You know, like I think Ursay's a good dude. I think he cares. I think he wants to win. But I also think that he thinks he's a really smart dude that, that knows everything about football. And so it's it's hard to check that if you're anybody that's with the organization. We got our conversation with Jim Aiello. Can we fit in a couple of these, James, before we go? Okay, cool. Let's uh, – I, I don't want to say rapid fire because I want to give everybody a chance, but let's go with uh, Marcellus who's on line three. Hey, Marcellus, how are you? Hey, man, doing a great job today, man. I love it. Appreciate Thanks, it, man. Thanks for calling. Hey, hey uh, I'm going to be an outlier here and, and, and kind of defend Ursay a little bit because I, I think, man, uh, when you look at – and owners like Jerry Jones and others, man, Ursay really has been really hands-off. He has trusted 
he trusted Rank, Rice, and Ballard exclusively. I mean, implicitly. I mean, he he wrote checks every time they said we needed something. He wrote the check yep. for it every time. And what did he get the show for it? After about seven years and the damn breaks, everybody's like, Ursay's crazy." No, <laughs> he was really he was hands off. He's watching these guys. He's watching. He's watching Heckle and Jekyll. Uh, run his car off the cliff at some point. This is his club. He's like, what are you guys doing? I trusted y'all. I wrote every check you said we, for every player you said we needed, for everyone you let go as well that was still productive with other teams. You said we didn't need them anymore. Okay, I said I didn't say a word. I stepped, I stepped back. I let you guys handle it. And then last year he pulled a Jeff Saturday and everybody's losing their minds. I'm like, well, yeah, that was crazy. I get it. What's even crazier is that seven years, one playoff win, no division titles, you know, putting Carson Wentz out there uh, when he was here on two bad ankles against Tennessee, you know, knowing he couldn't move, you know, just all kind of crazy decisions to say that Frank was making. I think we lost you there, Marcellus, but yeah, I, I – I agree with what you're saying. I mean, Jim Irsay wants to win. He's going to do everything that they, he can to win, and that's what you want from a sports team owner. But what happened last year was the car was heading for the guard, slammed into the guardrail with Reich and Ballard, and Irsay decided, I want to get in the driver's seat, and then he jerked the wheel, and the car fell off a cliff. So Marcellus said, you know, when he's hands-off, that's the best way for Jim Irsay to be, hands-off and trust the people that are running the team. And hopefully he's going to do that now with his new head coach and with Ballard continuing. Um, let's go to, I, I believe it's Todd next. I think this is going to be our last one, though. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the show. Hey, buddy. There used to be another show I loved um, called Jake and... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing up, yeah, those those old memories. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Hey, um, so this, this is this is an odd, odd play here, and I'll be quick. But um, there's a, I'm pretty sure Taylor's one of the people on the side of the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. He is. Um, I would say if... Um, if uh, Ursa were to tempt the uh, removal of that, that probably would cut the uh, cut the <laughs> cut off everything. I'm just curious yeah. your thoughts. Oh yeah, so. well that and not only that, Todd. I mean, I, the banner maybe less so than if he got put on the non-football injury list and they took his money for this year. I think that was when. But that's a card that the Colts can play. You know, if if Taylor wants to play hardball, the Colts can really play hardball here. I don't think they're going to do that. But again, that's one of the many cards that the Colts are holding in their hand. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor's got like the two of diamonds and the seven of clubs and like a, an offsuit king. And, and the, the, there's nothing for him to chase here. There's, there's no card that's going to save him. We had a great conversation earlier with Jim Aiello of The Athletic um, talking about the Colts situation, you know, formerly of the Indy Star. And now he has more of the national perspective. And we'll react to that for you when we come back. It's the ride with JMV, 93.5 and 1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Fun day today. Wrapping up here. On a lovely Tuesday in central Indiana, it's the Ride with JMV. I'm Derek Schultz filling in. John returns tomorrow. Appreciate you making us a part of your day. Only a couple of minutes left, and our buddy Adam has been waiting very, very patiently on line four, so we wanted to make sure that we got to his call. I'm assuming this is Colts-related, Adam. Is that right? 
Of course it is. Hey, how are you doing, Derek? <laughs> I'm good, man. Thanks for calling, and thanks for being so patient. Oh, no problem. Hey, I just want to say I'm a, a season ticket holder. I, this is my second year. I'm one of them diehard Colts fans, and I just want to say, hey, we got to have faith. We got to have hope for this team. I mean, we got some playmakers. We got some weapons. We just got to get after it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think that there are reasons for hope. I, I'm I'm usually looking for reasons to hope. I'm an optimist at heart. I really am. Um, and I, I think the Colts are going to have a better season than most people think. Like, I, I don't view this as the worst team in the NFL or one of the worst teams in the NFL. I think they were really bad last year, and they, they still should have probably won six games. So yep. I appreciate that encouragement there, Adam. And hopefully Colts fans are listening too. And, and I think – this is a great fan base. It's a patient fan base, and I think they'll let this thing play out as long as the Jonathan Taylor thing doesn't turn into too much of a distraction. Thanks to Greg Rakestraw. Thanks to Jim Aiello. Thanks to James Adams. Thanks to you. I hope you enjoyed it. It's been the ride with JMV, 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. We'll see you next time.